When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah, Fridays, wherever you are, they are for the art. This is Morning Combat. You're looking in on it Friday, June 3rd, 2022. The best damn combat sports show. Period. Motherfucker. Uh, you're looking at me. My name is BC Brian Campbell. Is my skin this way or is it the I lighting of my hotel anything. rig? That's up to you to decide, but I did get the late bat phone call on location in Minneapolis this weekend for Saturday Night Showtime Boxing Card. We'll get to that in a little bit, but you don't come here for me, right? You stay here for me. You get in the door because of my co-host, that guy next to me, the best damn non-fighting fight analyst in the game today. He's Luke Thomas of Washington, D.C., folks. Look at him. Love him. Smell him. He can't hear me, B.C. Why? Is there, are we still live, Corey? Is this a live show? All right. Luke's going to figure out some technical difficulties. We've got a great show for you today, regardless of where we are, whether our cords are plugged into the proper hole. We're going to set the stage for UFC Fight Night this weekend, a pretty big boxing weekend, very good Showtime Championship fight for the unified 122-pound title. We've got Haney Cambosis for the undisputed lightweight crown. We've got your fan subs. We've got your diggity dead wrongs as well. And you got your boy BC checking out the Twin Cities, okay? Yes, I'm going to be the in-ring interviewer filling in for Jim Bray on Saturday's Showtime doubleheader, 9 p.m. Eastern. Don't be don't be afraid to check that out only on Showtime. Uh, you're going to check out the, the replay of last weekend's Tank Davis, Roly Romero pay-per-view slugfest, and then two fight card for you coming at you. But this is MK. This is Morning Combat. This is what we do here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So like this video. Subscribe to what we have going on here. If it's going on in mixed martial arts, boxing, bare knuckle, bonanza, you're going to hear about it on this show right here. Join our community. Shout out to our most recent guest of Room Service Diaries, unbeaten UFC welterweight Sean Brady of Philadelphia for hooking me up with this fantastic Grit guillotine shirt, okay? So I'm talking about it makes it's tight on my chubby skin and it makes me look a little bit tough here, despite the color issues on my travel rig. But uh I'm coming at you live and direct. You can get 30 days free of Showtime right now, the label that pays us indeed by going to showtime.com. So do that. Check me out in the ring Saturday night. Get your 
finest Bellator MMA action, and so much more. Take that plunge. Pound the sand at the end after 30 days. It's up to you. But the price, you can't beat it. It is free. Also, I'm not wearing any right now, but as Luke is reconnecting, we want to remind you we have the best merch house in the business as well. So let's sell all our ads and have you go to morningcombat.store right now to pick up, I don't know, your uh, Factory Town MMA shit, your dead Luke's face shit. We got a lot of shit right there, okay? Uh, If I happen to mess up and say something inappropriate, I'm sure you can even buy a... uh, a, a Morning Combat Adult Film shirt there as well. Okay, so check out that stuff going on. Uh, I love this show. I love combat sports. What a great weekend this will be. Uh, I'm fired up as heck to be a part of this. Hopefully we got Luke, who is always there for you, connecting pretty shortly. But uh, your boy here. BC... I hear. Oh, God, God. Wow, he saved me from solo vamping right there. I was going to yeah, say, sorry. Luke, I've, I've never really been to the state of Minnesota before outside of the airport. And it's um, it's very flat. Very green. I'm sure the winters will make you cry, but uh, I'm here. I'm ready. Yeah, how, how are you doing, Luke? Uh, eh, not great, but you know, what else is new? Is it is it more of mental anguish, physical, circumstantial life problems? What do you got, Luke? I'm here. I'm I'm a willing heir. No, physically I feel great. Uh, I've got my new shoes. I've got the new Ultras uh, Escalante Three. They have a wide toe box, as you can see, and uh, it's zero drop. It's like a minimalist shoe, but it actually has a little bit of padding, which is great. So, physically, I feel pretty good. Luke, can I join the rest of America in saying, what are those, bro? I mean, I've never even heard of those, you know? So, ultras are shoe. They, so, here's the problem. If you go from, like, wearing, like, Nikes or Adidas, right? Folks don't realize this. What you're really paying for is the fashion design in them. Because if you buy barefoot minimalist shoes, they actually are better for your feet, but they look like shit. Right, they look they look yeah. terrible. So ultras are a, a designed running shoe where it gives you a little bit of padding and it looks kind of normal, but it gives you some of the benefits of having a wide toe box so your toes can splay, and then it's zero drop, so your heel is not higher than your toes, which is an unnatural position for your feet to be in. To answer the question, my feet feel great. I'm in a lot. Of, I'm in, I feel pretty good that way, but uh, the rest of my life is in shambles. So what do yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. Wide toe box is a condition most uh, adult film stars end up with at the end of their long careers, Luke. But hopefully, you can continue <laughs> to. Uh, uh, walk through that on the streets of D.C. Look, I'm a few weeks away from bringing my family to D.C., so I look forward to, uh, you know, hugs and hand pounds, uh, catching up with Vio. Hopefully she won't be afraid of Uncle Gringo in person. I'm looking forward to it, all right? She's getting nicer to strangers as she gets older, so I think she'll be okay. All right. Uh, I, had, I did have Jake the Snake, uh, the, the documentarian, uh, Jake Von Amsterdam, in my house yesterday. Look, fantastic times, bro. We, uh, or two days ago, excuse me, we, uh, we, we, we had the drone camera out. Right. We went to the factory town. It was great. Two, okay. two, important, two important questions. One, did your yeah. wife go on camera? <laughs> my wife refused to go on camera, but she was very nice to Jake and, and had some nice conversation. Jake let my dogs jump all over him and make out with him. It was great. I asked my kids if they wanted to be on camera. They said no. So it was, uh, okay. it was, it was very heavy on animals and, and me. And it was now, so- did you do a full Cribs tour or just Man Cave tour? We did a uh, man cave tour. We did like a front yard tour. We, uh, you know, we went back to uh, the, the, the the stompings of the factory town nuggets of Connecticut. Did a little oh, tour shit. there. So uh, it should be a nice little bonus on episode uh, seven of our great documentary series that's still in post production at the or, or current production at the moment. Yeah, all I get, my wife. So we 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 split the difference here a little bit. I didn't get a chance to show him around town, so I don't really have any of those. Uh, and I didn't show him anything other than my studio. However, my wife did speak on camera, so you'll get to see that, I guess. 
I was told you had distinct rules, Luke. These rooms are off limits. These people in my house are off limits, which I That's respect. Right. You know that is that is actually very true. I had very very <laughs> clear and precise rules. He's not lying. You're like this is the champagne room. You know what goes on in there. We don't film in there, but you know. That's this is where I keep my land Jaeger. Yes. Yeah, exactly. This is where I churn it and mix it uh, with my special ingredient called uh, man sauce. Yes. Thank you to Aaron from Washington. Speaking of that, Luke, uh, if anyone is looking to make the travel plans for this July, we will. If you haven't heard, 1000% beyond the ground at UFC 276 International Fight Week, 4th of July weekend. So uh, if you want to come down, come on down for a great set of UFC fights, meet the MK boys. We're going to literally be on the ground because we don't have a set. (laughs) I mean, there's some of that still being worked out whether we're actually wanted there, but we will be here there, Luke. We will be doing a live post-weigh-in Friday show the day before UFC 276. Luke, it's going to be right. Can I say this? Am I not allowed to announce this? Ooh, I don't know if you can say it or not, but I, here, 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 let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. If you go to the weigh-ins at the T-Mobile Arena, what we can say is I don't want to give away the location right now because we, we haven't, I don't think we've fully locked it in, but... We are going to be at a place right by the T-Mobile Arena. So after the weigh-ins are over, we'll give you more details when we get closer. But we're going to be right by the T-Mobile Arena. Get your beers, go watch the weigh-ins, and then come hang out with me and BC right near there. And look, I'm sure it's going to be 113 degrees in the desert, so you should probably prepare for that. But what are you going to get during a live show? Uh, BC and LT off the rails, maybe a live wheel of death. How about in-person DMs from Donks? Come on, camera, say your piece. Uh, we'll have our security guard, Mikey Mormile, uh, pat everybody down just in case. All right. Yo, do you know who just retweeted our uh, video suggesting Butterbean should fight Jake Paul? Please tell me it's Butterbean. It's not, but it's pretty close. It was the referee in Butterbean versus Bart Gunn. Vinny Pazienza himself yes. has retweeted it. Dude, what I'm thinking of some like fun, curious room service diaries, potentially episodes. What if we put Vinny Paz and Vinny Paz on the same couch for RSD? Dude, that would be amazing. The two Vinny <coughs> Paz. Well, one is Vinny, P- Vinny Pazienza and one is just Vinny <coughs> Paz. But yes, that'd be that awesome. That was a, uh, a non-COVID cough right there. So thank you very much. Luke, let's get into it unless you got any other ads you want to sell. I know our potential Delta 8 sponsorships are still in, uh, still in legal at just, the moment. So just one cool. question about clarification here. Uh, did you see Top Gun yet? I did not see the new one yet, but dude, seriously, from Shab to Bill Simmons to anybody else with a voice, they're saying that it may not be a Academy Award winning movie, but in terms of in-theater experience, they're saying, Luke, it's a throwback to our 80s youth in terms of in-your-face awesome. So I'm taking my wife as soon as this show is over to go see Wow. Uh, the new Top Gun. And and uh, it's our only our second date in three years where we could find a babysitter. So wow. big doings around these parts. And and your first not involving a firearm. So I'm happy for you guys. Luke, <laughs> um, does your wife understand things like American culture? Why the, on the surface, very cheesy original Top Gun? Yet for us, I don't know about you, Luke. I saw that in the theater when I was like seven. Dude, that, that shit mattered. Is she, can she get into this? So the answer is yes, but it's like there's weird pockets that didn't connect. Top Gun was one of them. She has seen Top Gun. Of course, Tom Cruise is a worldwide superstar. So yes, that's a big... She's like chomping at the bit to go see this. But the weird part is like some stuff just didn't make its way down there. 
Star Wars, it's bigger now with the kids, but her generation, like they, none of them ever really watched Star Wars. So me trying to be like, no, 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 no. See, it's four, five, six. Then it's one, two, three. Then it's seven, eight, nine. It doesn't. She yeah. doesn't. Yeah, no. See, I didn't get a lot of um, South American culture in my youth, but I did get Sabado Gigante every Saturday, Luke. Which Sabado Gigante is still on. Yeah, it had very busty women on it, so I would, you know, bear the language barrier. And uh, Dude, that's that's all of TV where anyone is speaking Spanish. It isn't from Miami all the way down. The one you really got to watch is uh, Gordo y Flaca. So they get a fat guy and then like some woman who's like a ten out of ten to just be on set at all times. It's like, it's just what they do. It's amazing. Sounds like Bobby Lee and Kalila. All right, let's get into the show, Luke, uh, if we can, by the way. Luke, real quick, does Sean Brady's shirt make me look like I have moobs? Because I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to No, stay but Sean Brady gave us shirts that are supposed to fit people who do push-ups, not two yes. washed losers who wear hunting hats and uh, are you know, balding with their gray hair. No. <laughs> Luke, real quick, too, and I know this is an extended intro and the real serious MMA fans are going to get upset, but remember Doug Christie, the shooting guard for the uh, Sacramento Kings during the 2000s yes, when they had that run? Do you remember he had that weird thing with his wife in the crowd where every time he would shoot and score, he'd have to do like this combination of like love taps and like speak to her in code? Do you remember that? And everyone's like, yo, everyone's like, yo, bitch, that. you whipped. I was thinking Saturday night when I'm playing the Jim Gray role interviewing Cool Boy Steph, Danny Roman. Can I do something that only you would know that 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 you would pick up on and, and, and you know feel good about us and where you're at in our relationship? You could just sort of lift your leg and pass gas, <laughs> which you normally do. I could be like, can't wait for September 11th. We'll see you next time. All right, there you go. <laughs> that, let's edit that out in the process. All right, let's start our fantastic show. And our topic one looks ahead to the big MMA fight of the weekend, UFC Fight Night card. I believe it's at the Apex in Las Vegas. I do that every week without checking. But it is a heavyweight main event worth your time between two top 10 contenders when Alexander Volkov takes on Jair Zinho Rosenstruck. I may have nailed that. We'll find out. Luke, top 10 heavyweights. We hit the storylines coming in. We know one could be going this direction. One could be going the other in terms of where the results end up going. I want to hit you up with real-time betting odds because I know that you're huge into things like that. Minus 160 is Volkov, your favorite at the moment, plus 135, Rosenstruck. Luke, we know Biggie Boy is the more limited of the two. What are you going to need to see out of him in this fight, given the ups and downs of his recent run at the elite level, to know that he might be coming and not going in terms of heavyweight title contention? I think you have to take the fight to Volkov a little bit. I mean, that sounds a little bit counterintuitive because... I would argue Rosenstruck, again, Rosenstruck, I never know how to say it right, Rosenstruck, I guess, he is a very effective counterpuncher, right? I mean, just sort of think about a couple of the check hooks he landed along the way. Uh, Andre Olovsky would be one of them, where he was able to let the guy pressure him, and then he was able to counteract it with shots over the top or whatever the case may be. That's actually something he's very, very effective at, but I think playing that game with Volkov who's going to have a reach, not a substantial one. They say 80 to 78, so not a huge one per se, but probably a little bit longer on in, in person than perhaps on paper, and certainly much taller. He's going to be a little bit harder to counteract, and he's not going to leave a lot of the same kinds of openings. Plus, if he's leg-kicking and teeping and that kind of a thing, and he's dictating, if he's dictating the range, basically, I guess the point I would like to make, then it's just really hard to see how Rosenstrike's going to get his best work done. Um he tends to be the guy who can really absorb pressure. In fact, you go back to that Francis Ngannou knockout. Yes, he, he lost in 18 seconds. But you watch it in slow motion. He intercepted in that course of that 
blitz that Nganu had. He intercepted him like three different times. It wasn't enough to stop him. And then obviously Francis has perhaps the most dominant power we've ever seen in MMA. But you get the idea. Like he is clever about that kind of thing. Still, against Volkov, I don't think he's going to rush in that way. I don't think he's going to leave the same kind of openings. For me, this is going to be about Rosenstruck, excuse me, getting inside the range, pressuring, I think, Volkov a little bit backwards, putting him on the back foot. I think if he's just circling and then maintaining, you know, if he's fighting at the range that Volkov sets, what what really is going to be the mechanism for winning there? Also, I wouldn't, I don't think it's likely, BC, but I wouldn't discount the possibility that Volkov could potentially get a, some kind of a takedown if, in fact, Rosenstrike is too busy trying to rush his way in uh, from the clinch in particular. So a couple ways this could go, but really I think Rosenstruck's only real method of victory has got to be pressuring, getting inside the range, and then putting, to the extent possible, a guy like Volkov on the fence. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit of an uphill battle, although those betting odds are close, given the power uh, certainly involved in this matchup. Luke, Alexander Volkov, uh, you know, I have no problem saying before the loss to Aspinall, really, I thought he was coming on. Luckily, at heavyweight, luckily in the sport of MMA, you know, a loss here doesn't fully derail you. Sometimes it can be a good teaching moment. If you're Team Volkov and you're going back to the tape, and how quickly Tom Aspinall figured out the lane to take Volkov down and then seemed to get him into that uh, submission like that and the fight was over. What do you think Team Volkov can do to learn from that outing, Luke? Because when you think of Volkov, you certainly think of kickboxing, of distance, of heavy striking, of that sneaky ground game. I mean, look, if he's going to take you down and work in top position, he has the strength and the size to give you some issues. How does he grow from that defeat to make sure it doesn't happen again? Well, I mean, Aspinall is just such a different beast. Younger, faster, better. Um, I don't know that they need to like, you know, dude, Volkov's Volkov's a veteran at this point, right? He's been around a long time. What's his record? 34 and 10. I mean, this dude is not new to this whatsoever. It's, I think, about this time when you're this experienced and you have certain set of unique physical advantages in the way that Volkov does, or at least certainly unique, uh, uh, you know, um, dimensions. I think it's just about sort of making sure you know how to apply them here correctly. I don't think it's so much about trying to overcorrect what Aspinall did. Like if he was going from Aspinall to gone, which we already know he fought gone, but I'm saying if that was the order, well, then there might be a little bit more, I think, consideration about the lessons of the Aspinall loss. But Aspinall is, I mean, Rosenstruck can't do what Aspinall does, at least not in yeah. that particular way. I mean, perhaps on the feet, he's a little bit better uh, at this stage anyway. But in that well-rounded, explosive, takedown-finding kind of opportunity, that, that's is, he's not that guy. And so while you don't want to like utterly dismiss the possibility that he could try that, I, you know, that's really probably not where the fight's going to be won and lost. To me, this is getting back to like asking Volkov and him, him and his team, getting, okay, what do we do best and under what conditions do we do that? It just so happens that those conditions, sort of distance striking to the extent a little bit of the clinch, that's a lot of the same places where Rosenstruck has potentially struggled a little bit. So what I would say is it's about being careful. It's about making good decisions. It's about it's about um, making sure he's not getting backed up, as I mentioned. It's about making sure he's the one. I think you don't want. I don't think he has to overly press Rosenstruck, but I do think he has to press into him a little bit as well. And it's about just sort of defining the fight on those terms. Really, whoever defines the range here is going to be the one who wins. And I just tend to think that there are enough reasons for Volkov to not easily do it, but quite manageably do it. So, Luke, I'm on your side of the fence here, not being, not just being a respecter of what Volkov brings to the game and how he has steadily evolved up this ladder. But does that mean on the flip side, I'm, a, I'm, I'm becoming a, a high-level critic of, of what Rosenstruck's UBL or 
upper bound limits actually can be. Yes, Luke, to me, these odds are way too close. Now, heavyweights, you you often see the odds closer than the necessary skill disparity is because of the one-punch factor. We all get that. But, Luke, if I'm looking at this fight, if I was going to put my hard-earned money down, dude, it's Volkov for days from an experience level, more experience going deeper in fights, everything that we've seen. Although, like, like look, Biggie Boy's got power. The win's over Overeem by stoppage. The win's over, you know, faded JDS, those sort of level of guys. Look, he's fantastic in that sort of opening. Luke, I don't really see a path here of victory short of making this a war and out warring Volkov. What am I missing as it relates to not only Rosenstrike's skill set, but the idea that this is a very close fight on paper? You could say what you want about the Overeem fight, but his power does carry late. He has a lopsided skill set, but it's one where the uneven lopsided one here, the uneven side of it, won't, probably won't play a huge role anyway. So between the fact that he is also experienced, heavy-handed, power carries late, um, pretty experienced against pretty good guys at this point. I mean, the last few fights that he's had prior to this one, Curtis Blades, Augusto Sakai, Cyril Gaon, Junior Dos Santos, Francis Ngannou, Alistair Overeem, Arlovsky, Crowder, Albini. I mean, he's, he's, he's been around for a little bit at this point. He's seen a lot. I think it's just about having a different kind of mentality for this one. I think a lot of times he's been patient to a fault. Uh, you can't be that here. And again, if you're patient against Overeem because you're worried about the takedown, that's one thing. If you're patient against Gone because he's so good at sticking and moving, that's another. Volkov is more stationary than I think either of them. And Volkov is probably not a takedown threat. So if you're Rosenstruck, you might be saying, okay, he's tall, he's lanky. He's experienced as well. He's got a lot of problems that he poses, but there are a lot of ways in which, like even the Curtis Blades fight, they showed him jabbing, but Curtis Blades got a takedown in each of those fights and was able to use it, or each of the rounds anyway, and was able to use it each one for a, more than a minute, in certain cases, uh, more than three minutes of control time. That's probably not something you have to really worry about with Volkov. It could happen, but not likely. And so for those reasons, you at least have a striking affair on your hands. That that's that keeps you in the ball game. That keeps you in the ball game in a pretty significant way. It's just really about having a more take the the fight by the scruff of the neck attitude. Yes. I think he's been a little bit kind of hanging back. You hang back against Volkov, and you're going to watch minute after minute go by, and you're not going to win. Absolutely, no, no question about it. His avail his ability to control distance at the highest level is certainly on point. He's a heavy striker. I like a lot about what Volkov brings to the game. Luke, it's number eight versus number seven in the top 10 of the heavyweight rankings. Uh, do you have an idea what's tangibly at stake in terms of what could be next for the winner? Both of these guys are, um, you know, you know as well as I do, they've both kind of lost to like the really, really good ones. Less so Volkov, um, but they're pretty close in that way. I think this is just about... Who can maintain? I'm not sure what you, you said. Their rankings position. I didn't hear it quite clearly. Eight and seven. Eight and seven. Yeah, this is the this is the guy who wants to remain either in the top five or just outside of it, versus a guy who will remain outside the top ten or barely in it. It's really about like that 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 five one to five five to, or one to five I should say six to ten eleven to fifteen uh, seven segmentation. That's really kind of what this is about because you know they're both not necessarily the youngest people, but they're not so over the hill in that regard either. At least relative to many of their peers, not. You know, gone and, and Aspinall notwithstanding, but they've both, you know, obviously advanced past them. I think this is just about maintaining a little bit more relevancy in the top of the division versus in that second or third part of the top 15. Not not a whole lot more than that. But I would say, however, if you're Rosenstruck, this might be his best win in the UFC if if he gets it, right? Like, we're going over his wins here. 
He has wins over Sakai, JDS, but that was a very diminished JDS. The Overeem win would be a very good win, but it's super controversial because he was losing every part of that, and you could say that the fight shouldn't have been stopped. So it's somewhat controversial. And then Arlovsky, Crowder, and Albini. Really, if he were... I'll put it this way, BC. If he were to like um, beat Volkov in a way without controversy, like you just cleanly won it, whatever that would mean, that would be his best win because yeah. the one against Overeem... Again, I'm not going to say fluky, but... If they fought again, I'd pick Overeem to win. I agree with you. When we talk about who's coming or going, uh, this is a big moment for, for Biggie Boy in my eyes in terms of, look, this would be the biggest win of his career, as you mentioned. It would catapult him into the top five. He'd be looking at only big names from here on out. Yet on the flip side, Luke, a loss here would further cement the idea that there is a very firm ceiling in terms of Rosenstruck when it comes to fighting diminished names or B-minus level talent, and when it comes to stepping up to a higher level. So we're going to need to see the aggression you're talked about to give himself the best chance to win, which means getting inside, leaving no doubt, letting those hands and, and feet go. But at the same time, do we need to see more craft out of Rosa Struke? Do we yes, need to see I'm more so setup? I brought this up. Yes. Dude, this is what I get back to all the time. It's like everyone's, oh, you got to be well-rounded. Yes. You do have to be well-rounded. You have to be well-rounded enough where, um, I've always said this, people are like, what's the right proportion of skills? I believe to be the very best at MMA, you should have one particular dimension where you are ex you are excellent at. But the yes. reality is about winning at this level, unless you are so excellent at it, like Izzy, right? Izzy is so good at striking <coughs> and so good at managing the fight on those terms that he can kind of get away with it, at least for now. We'll see how long this goes. But for a lot of other people who are not Israel Adesanya, you have to really think about, okay, you have, in case of Rosenstruck, right? Uh, he had a kickboxing background. We know he can do that. But if the fight doesn't come to you on those terms in the way that you want it to, what else can you do? Can you find a way to go for a takedowns? And if you even can't get the takedown, can you find your way to the back and then threaten him against the fence line where, you know, by finding these sort of alternative positions? Or is it just, I have to stand apart for you, and if this doesn't work, well, then, then that's the fight. Those are the questions that he really has to figure out here and if, or he, or to answer anyway, because what the problem with the Rosenstruck is he is a very good striker. There should be no question about it. He's tough. He's durable. He's experienced. He's so many great things. But like, what about his takedowns? What about his takedown defense? What about his submissions? What about his ability to work from the back? What about his ability to find the back? Like this hasn't been explored to my knowledge in any kind of real way at all, at all, at least Volkov you know, for example, has a very good ground and pound, has some ability to get up, has some ability to defend himself in certain ways from the guard position, which he did against Curtis Blaze and some other folks. Like, there's at least some of that more well-roundedness. So it's really about having an ace in the hole, yes, but it's also about having, okay, what if that gets shut down? What are your other ways to actually beat other elite opposition? And to my knowledge, at this point, I don't think we've seen any of that from Rosenstruck. No, we haven't. We have not at all. So this is a big moment for him to really decide which direction his career is going. Of course, Volkov, as you mentioned, been around for a while, decorated resume. Look, he's the former Bellator heavyweight champion. He held that back in 2012, dude. I remember Ten that. years ago. Good Lord. He beat and dude, Rich to, Hale to, for the, the uh, vacant crown. To the point you just asked about, he got taken down a lot. I don't know if it was in, when he lost the belt or exactly how it went, but... Uh, dude, he was he, he had terrible takedown defense back then, and now it's you know is it the best part of his game? No, it's still a little bit difficult for him, but it's way way better. Plus, other forms of his striking have come to life in ways that it didn't exist before. He's massively improved from then. It's like with Rosenstruck, he's obviously talented, but 
What are the other ways you can reliably say he can find a way to finish? I don't know. I don't know at all either. So when we go to the prediction, Luke, I like the uh, Alexander Volkov. Do you like him by stoppage? Say it. Just say it. I mean, just fucking say it, bro. You know what I mean? Take no, those I big don't. stacks you're no, hiding in the in those man pants of yours. Actually, you know what? I, I have I have slept on him a little bit, and not in terms of winning and losing, but his ability to like put people away. Yeah, I think he will. I think he will. Yes, I will say that he will. Mm-hmm. There you go. Put your money right there where Luke's mouth is. Luke, we mentioned earlier great heavyweights of history like Butterbean. You posted that video from WrestleMania 14 or 15 of him killing Bargon. Is that the first time you'd ever seen it? So I so no, I had seen that in highlights. I've seen Butterbean highlights or whatever, but I didn't know that was where it came from. That part was okay. lost on me. And of course, you know, fifty thousand people followed up by tweeting at you and saying, "Watch the Dark Side of the Ring." Vice, yeah, which, uh, which I will not do. Right? Okay, I just wanted to clear that up because everyone's like, "Oh, look at Luke's a wrestling fan now." I was like, yeah, no. "You know, slow your roll there, tough guy." All right, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Luke, when we look up and down this card, this co-main event got us talking on Wednesday storylines. It's Dan Ige. It's a featherweight matchup against Mosar Evloev, who, yes, seems to be the next foreign guy who's coming on. Luke, I believe you're going to have to expect fireworks here, given the style, particularly of Ige. Is that always Ige's best strategy against uh, higher-level competition, though, in your eyes? What do you mean? Putting on that pressure for days. Is that going to be the best way for for him to win this fight? I mean, just just think about this. Like, this is what it gets down to with with Evloev or Evloev or Evlov. I don't know how you say it. But, dude, his average fight time. Think about this for a second. His average fight time is exactly 15 minutes. Now, why would that be the case, BC? Because in all of his UFC fights against Xiong Wu Choi, decision, Enrique Barzola, decision. Mike Grundy, decision. Nick Lentz, decision. Hakeem Duwadu, decision. Now, they were very, very good wins. Nine takedowns against Duwadu. Two takedowns against Lentz. Uh, he had zero against Mike Grundy. Mike Grundy had six, but I guess he got reversed a bunch of times. He had four against Barzola, and then he had five against Choi. This is a guy who looks for the takedown, looks for control positions, and then rides out rounds. Now, I don't say he doesn't have any ground and pound or has no submission threat, but you, if your average fight time... Through five UFC fights is 15 minutes. You are not exactly a devastating finisher at this point. So what I would say if you're Dan Ige is, you know, it's a three-round fight, so you don't have a lot of time to mess around. I do think he has to put some kind of pressure on Evloev because if he doesn't, he's going to get backed up and he gets backed up again. Like, remember about takedowns. Someone wrote me an email about it recently. I was like, how does, you know, Habib always get these guys to the fence? Because even if he's shot in the middle of the cage and he got stuffed, he doesn't care. All he has to do at that point is then use your stuffing of it to grab an over a, a whizzer, some kind of body lock, whatever he needs, anything to then just drive you into the fence. And once he drives you into the fence, it's a brand new ball game. Game over at that point, and he can do whatever he wants. You know, Evloev has a very different game in, in a lot of important respects, but he can do a similar kind of thing. So the real estate of this fight is extremely important. I do think you're right. The aggressiveness of Danny Gay, I think it has to be there, but it's got to be real caref- careful, real measured. He's got to get into places, out of places very quickly. Uh, and I think he's got to put a jab in the face of Evloev. He's got to really push him back. He's got to really put some, some you know, he has to make him really reconsider establishing any kind of takedown threat or trying to close the distance. And without that, it's hard to see exactly how he wins because Dan Ige is very, very talented and is a submission threat. By the way, 
that's another component to, we, we, we should talk about. To what extent could Dan Ige go for some kind of submission from guard or whatever and then and thereby cause a scramble getting back on the feet? As it stands on the feet, I think Dan Ige is much better. In terms of submissions, I think Dan Ige is much better. When it comes to control positions, Evloev is going to be much better. It really, it is about denying him those conditions, breaking the hands, getting up, creating separation, uh, making sure that there is separation between them, because otherwise, it's going to be a long night. No, I agree with you. And when we, you know, we talk about these betting odds, they are pretty damn wide at the moment in favor of Evloev. As we speak, Luke, uh, we're looking at minus 420, the favorite, Dan Ige, plus 330. Luke Ige, we've established, has lost three out of four against, albeit very stud competition. He's ranked 10th coming into this fight in the featherweight division. Evloev ranked 13th. Is it a similar story in this co-main event to how I laid out in your eyes Jairzinho and the coming or going idea. Is this a must-win fight for Dan Ige to be looked at as a as a potential elite foe as opposed to the potential of four losses in five fights looked at more as a gatekeeper? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think Dan Ige is very talented. I think he's come a long way. I have a lot of respect for his journey. I have a lot of respect for the work he puts in. And I like his game a lot. It's exciting. You know, he can punch, he can do his black belt in jiu-jitsu, and he can wrestle, to be clear. It's and just a motor. A, lot of, a motor, yeah. Luke. Yeah, he's got a motor. He's got a good gas tank, too. And and he's durable. He can take a shot as well. Like, there's a lot to like about Danny Ige's game. But the problem is he keeps going up against these guys who have, as I mentioned before, they're well-rounded, like Calvin Cater. But what's his ace in the hole? The dude can box. Um, you go to Korean Zombie, similar kind of thing. I mean, he's a little more well-rounded in that sense. But... You know, these guys all have a few abilities that are really next level. And I think for Dan Ige, while he is very good, to beat a guy like this dude, he's going to have to have one of those next level performances on the back exactly. of some kind of real next level skill. It's going to be, hey. uh, I just don't see how you beat a guy this very dialed in and specific without that. No doubt about it. That's why I sort of opened saying, like, look, Ige sets a high pace, he's aggressive. But this is must-win territory, so I don't think just being more aggressive will ultimately be the answer to this. I, you know, I do have some concerns of whether his his power and ability to finish fights really works on the high end. So we're going to need to see some craft, the mixture of a ground game, or I don't know. I don't know. Do you want it? I don't know if you want to go to the ground against this guy, Luke. No, I mean, I guess, I guess. Well, I would say this: if Ige wanted to initiate it, because by the way, he does have some decent takedowns. Let's be very clear about that. If he wanted to initiate it, particularly against the fence line, and then kind of allow Evloev to stand and then fucking drill him on the stand-up, which you kind of see a lot of guys do a lot of times, that could be very, very beneficial for him. So actually, it's just you just don't... you For guys like that who have a very specific way of fighting, or at least I should say a very specific way of winning, because I'm, I'm not being fair to how well-rounded uh, Evloev is, but to guys who have a very specific way of winning ultimately... Dude, you have to deprive them of that. You have to deprive them of that. If you are fighting on those terms, eventually they will just get their way. So what you have to do is figure out a way to, to like, what are all the different ways you could deny them the oxygen that they need for that fire? One of those might be is, you know, yes, good footwork, separation, key jab. Dude, take his ass down. Like a blast double where there's not a, like a possibility of reversal. All he's really looking for is getting away. I don't mean like some kind of scramble that goes on forever where you know the better wrestler is going to win over time. I mean like some kind of in-your-face, bam, moment. Something like that. Yeah, that absolutely could shake him up, cause certain damage, and make 
Evloev think twice about things. If he, dude, just think about it. If he can set up his shots and he can at least get to you, it's probably going to be a bad day. So what are all the ways in which you can deny him that? That's it. Uh, I'm a big fan of this fight, big fan of what we're going to learn from it. Really, mostly separate from the Ige storyline is, is Evloev at 15-0 from Russia, you know, that next in line of that group of foreign hammers, typically from Russia or even more specifically Dagestan, who across really all of MMA, in any promotion, you look at it, PFL, Bellator, UFC, Luke, they're coming on. Is he going to be, come Saturday night, a guy we're talking about in that same category as Islam Mahachev, as your boy from Kazakhstan, uh, Shavka Rachmanov? What about Shavka Rachmanov? I'm talking about the Russian hammers or extended Russian area hammers who seem to be coming the oh. F on in elite yes. MMA. Will we be talking about Evloev on that level come Saturday night? Well, the, the thing is, Rachmanov is a very, very talented finisher. Uh, Evloev hasn't proven to be that yet. By so the way, do you see how protective to... you were? You were like, what are you saying about Rachmanov? You were, it was almost like I had, you know, mentioned, like insulted, you know, Colombians or something. You're like, <laughs> no, yeah. I, I just didn't quite understand the question. But yes, I mean, like to your point, like we obviously know that these guys from that whole area of the world are, are the next are the existing wave and how long that's going to go on probably for a while. But I would say Rachmanov, very dangerous on the feet, very dangerous finisher. There's a lot there. All right. Uh, Luke, I, I, I did want to pause our UFC Fight Night preview yeah, talk because our producers are lighting us up. You had mentioned earlier that Vinny Pazienzo, the great uh, multi-division boxing ex-champion, had tweeted, retweeted us and tweeted back at us. Apparently, we've gone up the scale to a higher level celebrity that in real time has hit us up. Uh, now I'm being told he deleted the tweet already. Oh, we have the receipts. Let's go to the uh, yeah, let's, let's go see. to it here. Let's see what Corey and Gaff have for us. Wow. Conor McGregor starting off tweeting, Lord, I have seized drinking my liquid gold and I may be feeling worse. If this is a sign of abort, please retweet. The Morning Combat Twitter account responded with, there's a team for that. Term. There's a term for that. There's a term for that. Excuse me on my reading comprehension there. And McGregor responded to that with, chill, two views. Again, this has since been deleted. But Luke, is this Conor McGregor taking a shot at the, uh, at the old boys from MK? I guess I don't know. We didn't tweet that. I can tell you that. Um, I guess our social team. Be... You're saying our social team is guiding us into beefs. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, apparently, because I sure as hell didn't tweet that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess. I guess. I'm not sure. All right. Um, you know. Uh, you know how we always look back at mo big moments and wish we we had done more, like UFC 214 when John Jones set up that coffin for you and we're like man dude you should have came back and been like yo meet me at that albuquerque intersection that you always run away from like something like that luke like like you know what i mean just something right like yo nice calves something um maybe i should have come back and hit up mcgregor in real time right there right yeah what, right? what is he saying we only get two views for things like we get low views is that the idea well, if he's saying low T, I, I necessarily can't argue with that. But if no, he's saying don't. low views, I do want to remind him that this is a uh, two-time uh, or three-time, excuse me, podcast award-winning show. Um, yeah. So just, uh, just for we, the record, everyone out there, we like BC and I are doing the show. We we did not tweet that. So yeah. All right. Uh, and once he sees that video of you celebrating Poiwei's win, this could take us to a new level in our feud with the Irishman himself. Uh, thank you very much, Conor McGregor. Luke, continuing on this card, give me another fight. That you care about. 
that you uh, think someone's going to win it? Uh, good question. The, the the main and co-main are certainly great. I, the one that I've had my eye on, as I mentioned before, there's a couple of good ones on here, uh, but it's got to be the Aaron Blanchfield, J.J. Aldridge fight. Now, both of these fighters are worthy of your respect at women's flyweight. Uh, Blanchfield, 8-1. and one. Aldridge, 11-4. and four. So not a ton of experience, but... I mean, Blanchfield's numbers are incredible. Obviously, her average fight time, 15 minutes, although she's not had a ton of fights. But strikes landed per minute, 5.53. Strikes absorbed per minute, 2.07. J.J. Aldridge is at a negative differential, although a slight one, 4.04 versus 4.45. Uh, takedowns per 15 minutes. See, this is the big one for Aaron Blanchfield. Five. Five per 15 minutes, so almost to a round. You know, I'm not saying that the fight, and there's only two fights on there, is the uh, Sarah Alper fight and then the Miranda Maverick fight. But the Miranda Maverick fight was kind of a wake-up call for me because I thought Maverick was going to win that one, and she didn't. And Blanchfield's takedowns looked to be super, super, super. Dude, that was a big wake-up call, Luke. Let's let's Can we blow that moment out a little bit more? I mean, that's the moment that Aaron Blanchfield got on my radar. It was alarming to me against a, a very strong prospect in Maverick, who, yes, was coming off some defeats there. It was alarming at the aggression and the ease that she was able to pin her on her back and, and inflict damage. Yes, it was very surprising. I, I was very surprised by that as well. So um, for those reasons, uh, you would have to imagine J.J. Aldrich really has the responsibility of keeping this fight on the feet. And you look at her takedown defense, 72%. It's pretty good. Takedown accuracy, just 38%, although I don't suppose that will be all that relevant here. But it's going to be a big test. It's going to be a big test of someone like Aaron Blanchfield. How often can she get the takedown? And just to be clear about it, against, let's see, against Maverick, she got seven takedowns out of an attempted eight. That is obviously extremely good. In the case of Sarah Alper, she got three of three. So she's barely missed on these. Uh, someone like J.J. Aldridge is very talented, certainly more experienced than her. But to win, it seems like if either you can stop that or you can't. Well, we're going to find out. Luke, if Blanchfield ends up getting the win here, and I only say that because she is the the higher prospect at the moment in terms of who's coming into this fight with 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 more momentum, uh, do you like my matchmaking idea of a crossroads prospect showdown of her versus King Casey O'Neill? Oh, um, sure. Actually, yes. Okay. I love Thank that you. idea. That's a great idea. Sometimes great. you have ideas like, yo, Butterbean should fight Godzilla. And then, other, and then other times you're like, hey, this very important good fighter should fight another one of a very similar commensurate level. I'm like, yeah, BC, that's a good idea. All right. Minus 500 is Blanchfield, your betting favorite, just for the record. Our friends at Caesars, uh, plus 380 Aldrich. Luke, I told you about that sloppy Super Bowl that I'm into. I don't need to tell you anymore. It could be a loser leaves town match for the winner and the loser when Felice Herrig and Karolina Kovalkiewicz have a rematch from their 2018 split decision. If you're wondering on the odds on that, uh, it's close. Minus 125 for the 37-year-old Herrig, plus 125. I'm sorry, plus 105 for the 36-year-old Kovalkiewicz. Uh, no one cares about your prediction on that. But, Luke, do you care about the... The rumbling that came out of this uh, main card opener. It's a light heavyweight bout pairing Alonzo Menafield against Askar Mozarov. And it's Luke, um, Askar's record came into uh, question ahead of this. Uh, the, the Sure Dog and the other sites that, that track the wins and losses. Apparently there, were, there was research done. They went back and realized that he was given five too many wins and five too many, five too fewer losses. Or Did you see this fiasco? Do you care at all, Luke? I briefly saw it mentioned, but I can't say that I fully know it. I mean, I guess his record, by the way, would stand at 19 and 12, yeah. which would not be awesome. But um, 
No, I can't say that. And this is his UFC debut as well. I I don't know. I, I don't okay. I don't know the answer to any of this. Okay, thank you very much, Luke. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to get off too easily here, Luke, because I've been doing it very easily for most of my life. But uh, uh, there's another women's flyway bout here on this card. You care at all about Pol- Pollyanna Botella against Corrine Silva? You don't care at all, right? Not much. Not much. Okay. Oh, Joe Seleski's on this one against Alex Da Silva is kind of an interesting one. Seleski is a very or Seleski. I'm, ne- I, I, I'm not sure I pronounce it properly, but um, very, very, very good grappler. Also, you might not remember this, but Benoit Saint Saint Denis taking on Nicholas Stoles. Saint Denis, I guess, in his last fight, if memory serves, which I think was his UFC debut. Yes, that's right against Elizu Zaleski dos Santos. Saint Denis is, I think, in the French Special Forces. And this was the one that went on way too long. You remember remember that? In his UFC debut, yes. he took a hellacious beating. Now, he was tough and he was getting up for it, but like just repeatedly getting rocked and head, you know, snapped back and dropped and everything. And they kind of let it go under like less than advisable circumstances. Um, he's back. So I hope he's okay. His first name, Luke, is, is Benoit or is it Benoit? Where are we going with this? I don't know how to. Dude, I'm not French. I no, I'm wondering because I'm wondering at this point if the if the very unfortunate Chris Benoit wrestling tragedy, uh, murder suicide could ch- make people change. I mean, because look, look, let's be fair. I had a friend growing up. His dad's first name was Adolf, but they didn't call him that for obvious reasons. He had a nickname Duke, and everyone called him that. You know, it's sort of like, oh, that's a name from a previous generation. I can't believe they named somebody that, considering that. I mean, what, you know, if you're if you're growing up, Luke, and your first name is like Sandusky, I mean, dude, like. You might want to call yourself Sonny or something after that, right? I mean, like, you know what I'm saying, Luke? It's, no, you're not with me on this journey, right? So, in other words, you're like, I shouldn't, if I have a son, I shouldn't name him Adolf Sandusky? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I mean, you get my point, Luke. I wonder if people sense that tragedy have rethought that. Maybe we'll call him Benny, okay? Benny St. Dennis will be back on the card this weekend. All right, Luke, I'm going to wrap up the MMA portion of there. Let's go to the boxing. Topic two takes us where I am, Minneapolis, Luke, and the famous... The legendary Minneapolis Armory will be the the host this Saturday for a uh, Showtime doubleheader. It starts at 9 p.m. Eastern. You're going to get the replay of Tank Davis versus Roly Romero. And Luke, the reports coming in is that that pay-per-view produced uh, 275,000 buys, which uh, would be the highest of Tank's four fights thus far while building his pay-per-view brand. And, of course, setting, you know, box office records at Barclays. You're going to get that one. Then you're going to get this doubleheader, and it's for the 122-pound unified title when Stephen Fulton Jr., unbeaten from Philadelphia, brings his pair of titles fresh off that fight of the year victory over Brandon Figueroa last fall, taking on the former unified king himself in Danny Roman. And Luke, to the fans that don't know, Danny Roman's very understated, polite, Mexican-American, grew up in California, not a big quote. But dude, he's one of the best fighters in the world and has been. He only lost those two belts and a split decision a year and a half, two years ago against Murajan Akhmadaliyev. That was a war, was one of the best fights of that year. Roman thought he got the wrong end of the scorecard. Well, now he's back in a very key spot. Both guys, by the way, want to fight Akhmadaliyev next to become the undisputed champion. Luke, do you sit in and agree with me, Showtime Paycheck in your inbox notwithstanding, that we're looking at a pressure action fight between two highly skilled guys here come Saturday? Dude, is it my imagination? But like, I feel like the last, I don't know, three or maybe even more than that opponents that Stephen Fulton Jr. has fought have been just like this. His last fight, not the exact same kind of fighter, but the, you know, that kind of phone booth, 
just inviting this dude into range and then kind of having one of these ridiculous wars against Figueroa, right? I mean, just insane what this dude was doing and insane how he was able to, to deal with it. Like, he's been dealing with a similar, uh, this, this type, I'll say, this type of fighter for a while. And here's the crazy part. It's like, okay, if they fought at range, I just don't see any way Roman wins. I, I, I really don't. I, I just, I cannot imagine him outboxing at range. Fulton Jr. But well, what about inside, the body? What about to the body, Luke? Roman does go to the body very well. Dude, Figueroa goes to the body. What did that do for him? You know, uh, the thing I'll say is this: inside, Roman has a chance. Inside, Roman has a chance. But the reason why I'm even skeptical of his chances, although I want to be clear about this, skeptical in the sense of like, you know, win or lose, what do you pick? I, I, I pick Fulton. But not skeptical in the sense that like I do think that Fulton's going to have to very much work for it. It's just the thing is this: BC, it's like, dude. We have seen Fulton Jr. invite people who fight like this into their own range where they're the most comfortable, and he still wins. Now, maybe he's playing with fire that way, and he shouldn't do that, but every time he's done it to this point, he's won. Why would Roman be different? That, to me, is an answer that I don't have. So on the surface, I think you're right. And I think that's why you see the betting odds coming in here, which seem really wide because it tends to be that way in boxing compared to MMA. Minus 600, your betting favorite, Cool Boy Steph. And I believe we're looking at a uh, plus 425, Danny Roman. But look, we are expecting it to be insanely competitive here. The whole point you're trying to make is this guy's bringing a style in which Cool Boy Steph has proven time and again on the elite level, including last year when he could have been your fighter of the year if it wasn't for the run Canelo had beats Angelo Leo in a war for to win the title, and then, as you mentioned, is willing to go punch for punch with Brandon Figueroa at close range in the area Figueroa shines and came away with a very close uh, and disputed decision. But, you know, is it dangerous for Cool Boy Steph? Yes. You're, you know, it's going to bring on more uh, accumulated damage down the stretch of his career, but he's from Philly. He's about that. But, Luke, him showing that commitment to fighting inside when needed and the skill to do so without taking too much damn. I mean, that that is why he suddenly was in the fighter of the year conversation. That's why he's your unified champion. He's just a tough guy to beat because we've seen previous fights in which Fulton did much more boxing. I mean, he doesn't have a ton of knockouts on his resume up to this point. He can handle himself. But it's almost like Jermel Charlo a couple weeks ago going into Brian Castaño's kitchen and saying, you know, I might be able to outbox you. The betting odds said I would, but... I'm going to go into doing what you do best, and I'm going to do it better. We've seen a little bit of that in Stephen Fulton Jr. So when you look at the CompuBox stats, comparing both coming in, both Roman and Fulton are exceptional statistically on the offensive side. Both average more than uh, 40% of their power punches landing. And it's an old boxing sort of you know uh, saying that if you can land more than 40% of your, of your power punches, you're probably going to win the fight at the end of the day. The difference, though, Luke, is Danny Roman very quietly takes on much more punishment per fight than even Fulton, who we're talking about now, you know, standing in the phone booth too long is going to be worth it. Well, Roman is a pure boxer who loves to let his hands go. And statistically, he takes on a fairly high amount of opponent connects. Now, Luke, the judges don't see CompuBox numbers. But if you were debating that Fulton-Figueroa fight in terms of statistics on who should have won, Fulton did land almost significantly the, the the higher amount of punches at a better percentage in this regard 
if it ends up, we're going to see them both get off offensively, but if it ends up being the defense that separates it, yeah, you're going to be leaning toward a night where, where, where Fulton gets his hand raised here. It's not going to be easy because Roman can fight great late. He's got a great motor. But sometimes I think Danny Roman is a little bit too aggressive to a fault, Luke. And that's where you can open up to somebody who's so precise with, you know, counter shots and, and, and being able to let go of power shots inside with high skill and technique for Fulton. I think you're right, Luke. If this thing heats up over the second half, which history tells you it will, it may heat up off the start for all we know. Fulton just a little bit cleaner on both his offense, but specifically his defense. That could be the difference at the end of the day. Yeah, we go back to the same conversation, or at least a similar one, different sport. But it's like, do you have different ways to win if one way is taken away from you? Now, maybe Fulton Jr. could stick behind the jab and just win that way. But let's just say that that's not in the cards, that Roman would find his way in. Can you win another way? Yeah, it turns out he can win another way and has proven it. So Roman is going to have to really have a clever game plan. He's going to have to be hard-charging. And I'll also say this, BC. Sometimes, I'm not, is it fair to call Roman a slow starter? Because here's yes. the thing I'm a little bit worried about. Some of the tape I've seen on him, he kind of gets cooking towards the middle portion, an early middle portion of a fight. Dude, you give up three, four, five rounds or whatever it ends up being to Fulton Jr., and then you have to win on the back stretch. That's going to be hard to do. Luke, he's uh, at the moment, Stephen Fulton Jr., despite the great 2019, not getting pound for pound votes on my list or, or really any I'm seeing. Do you think this fight. If he's victorious Saturday night, and of course we're going to want to set up the four-belt undisputed fight with Akhmedaliev, but do you think this could be the fight that gets Fulton the kind of recognition that, like, finally Jermel's getting? That Gervonta, I think, is a little bit behind, maybe because of the matchmaking I'm getting. There's no question on the matchmaking side for Stephen Fulton Jr. I don't know. I feel like these weight classes where you're below 130, you got to do a lot to make some noise. This is the kind of win that would certainly solidify his place among heartboxing hardcores. I don't see it as anything more than that. Uh, it, it, it sounds like I'm disrespecting. I don't mean it that way. I just mean to say, like, do I see this as a catalyst for a broader appreciation for Fulton? Probably incrementally, but not substantively. Yeah. The good news is that this division's hot. Showtime ha in PBC uh, in their silo in terms of rights has almost everybody of note except for Akhmedaliev. I know, though, that everybody wants to make that fight happen. But, you know, we've seen it in the past year plus as, as shout out to Showtime for committing to this division, whether it's Luis Neri, Danny Roman, whether it's Figueroa, whether it's these two. Uh, you know, we're making elite top level fun fights every single time out. This would be a very big win for Fulton if he gets it. And for Roman... It's right back where he felt he should have been all along, getting the wrong end of that split decision against Akhmedaliev and would be right there on the doorstep of trying to get a rematch, which would be definitely must-see on the same regard. But Fulton's coming on. He's a little bit younger. Hasn't been as through the wars as much. He's certainly your favorite for a reason. I like him at the end of the day, Luke, to get a unanimous, competitive and close, but no dispute, clean decision here. What say you? Yeah, I think Fulton Jr. gets a decision here. I think he looks good. Probably is going to lose maybe four rounds, maybe something like that. But in the end, you're just going to know like one guy just did better work. And again, pay attention to how long it takes for Roman to get inside. Now, I'll be amazed. Maybe Fulton Jr. starts the fight and then just invites him from round one on the inside. That would be a bit of a gift to Roman. That might change the equation a little bit. But I'll say this, if Roman is slow to get into the kind of range where he does his best work, that inside fighting, I have a very hard time seeing how he wins. I'm going to lean towards Fulton Jr. here.
Dude, Cool Boy Steph is becoming a thing, Luke, in terms of, like, fun personality. Always delivers fun fights. He's he's definitely a guy that's going to be tough to get that crossover mainstream appeal. I mean, everybody's fighting to get that thing. But, you know, he hasn't really had a misstep up to this point, Luke. Except for maybe the gotcha hat, you know, thing he pulled on uh, Figueroa that time in the post-fight interview. That was a little lame, Luke, okay, to be fair. It was right? a little lame. What are you going to do? Yeah, it's a little lame indeed. Uh, Luke, that co-main event, I did want to put on people's radar that David Morrell Jr. is defending his secondary WBA super middleweight title on there. So, you know, his journey hasn't really got a lot of people talking, but he's from Cuba. He's unbeaten. He's trying to get in the Canelo sweepstakes like everybody else. Luke, he's only had six pro fights. This is not something I realized. He's in the co-main event on Saturday, but um, he won that secondary title in just his fourth pro fight. He's in his 20s. He just wants the smoke. Um, I love it when people are this aggressive earlier in their pro career. So at the very least, I have huge respect for that. If he survives and advances here against a guy he should, um, someone to just keep on your radar for the very fun 168-pound division moving forward. You know what I'm Duly saying? noted. Duly noted. Thank you very much. All right, Luke, that's not the only boxing action that has us uh, – Tuning in or, or look, taking a closer look. Saturday night, uh, ESPN from Down Under offering a big one there, and it's for all four 135-pound titles. When George Cambosis Jr., fresh off the upset of Teofimo Lopez last fall, puts three of his world titles on the line against unbeaten WBC 23-year-old future phenom. The time is now for Devin Haney. Luke, there's been a lot of talk storyline-wise of the trash talk between them, of the fact that Cambosis parlayed that big win as a promotional free agent into now signing with co-promoter top rank putting his fights on espn getting the rematch clause for this fight against haney as the a-side this has been a huge career turnaround for him but the same for haney who had big success on the zone under eddie hearn but that deal was up they decided to come over the street here now he's fighting for all four belts yes it was supposed to be lomachenko or at least that's what team cambosis wanted but with the ukraine conflict we have a fight here that at the very least you could say is bigger, more important, because you're going to have a chance to crown for just the eighth time on the male side a four-belt undisputed champion. Uh, Luke, one of those storylines was Bill Haney, the trainer father of Devin, who wasn't going to be allowed to fly with his son and be at this fight because of a uh, 1992 drug charge conviction felony for uh, trafficking that uh, you know he did his paid his price for. Luke, just today, breaking news, Jake Donovan of BoxingScene.com tweeted out that Bill Haney got a last-minute approval to enter Australia. He's going to get on the first flight he can, and he expects to be ringside come Saturday night for Devin Haney. How much do you think that angle, that side of it, could have been a potential negative for the 23-year-old heading into such a big one? Hard to say that... See, I thought it was the accumulation of things that could potentially undo him. Traveling and then to Australia, right? So you have to get right just from the travel. The big audience that's going to be, you know, you're in enemy territory. So that's two things. Not having your trainer slash dad, that's three things. And then I did see this as well. I don't know if it was resolved. I believe there was an issue getting his cut man into the corner, into the uh, country as well. Uh, I don't know if they've resolved that or not, but you just thought, man, the accumulation of those things really kind of favors George Cambosis. And then you add in what the odds already are. You're like, I don't know, man. This is a tough fight for Haney. So what I would say is, it somewhat restores the competitive balance, perhaps, a little bit. If you're going to be in enemy territory and travel, having someone like that in your corner would be not just a benefit, but, but sort of a able you to do your best boxing, something like that. Um, but I still see this as a highly competitive, frankly, a very, somewhat mystifying fight, to be quite honest with you. 
Dude, Bad Left Hook, Scott Christ, who runs that 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 uh, website, had a really phenomenal post yesterday where he kind of admitted, like, we all have to admit we had to eat crow. Like, we just didn't see Cambosis coming against yep. Lopez. We had all kind of heard that Lopez was a bit of a basket case heading into that fight, but then, you know, Cambosis did things that we didn't see possible. So I think we have to have some humility about that. But, dude, like, there is something to be said for, like, why did so many people not see Cambosis coming? The two wins he had before that, BC, were Mickey Bay and Lee Selby, who he got split decisions with on both, and the one of them, the, the Selby fight, was exceedingly close. I think the, most of the judges had a 115-113. That very much could have gone, again, it was a split decision. All he needed well, was one more judge and a couple more rounds, and it would have been different. Oh, here's the point I'm trying to make. It wasn't like before the Lopez fight, he was clearly yes. showing himself to be an elite talent. And then, when I, listen to the words I'm saying, clearly. He clearly wasn't showing himself to be an elite talent, and he clearly hadn't beaten anyone elite. I don't know that it was... We were wrong in the end, but we had at least some reason, I think, to be skeptical. That's all I'm Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. Like, I want to talk about, because a lot of people, you know, especially from down under who were, you know, for their guy and said, man, you guys shit on him ahead of there. And look, to be fair, it was the customer fatigue of the purse bid, of the fight against Lopez changing networks, of it right. getting postponed five times. Trilly. By that point, you're just like, I want Teofimo to get through this mandatory and be done with it. This is ridiculous. So... It's not that we would dismiss Cambosis, but those wins over Selby and Bay, who, you know, boxing fans know those. Those are former title, uh, former champions in their own right. But look, they were on the second half of their careers. They were kind of washy. And we didn't see the same Cambosis in that fight who fought like a warrior, a maniac against Lopez, dropped him in the first round, was overall the, you know, the, the, the better fighter, the aggressor, everything like that. But then also endured big shots in the second half when Teofimo woke up a little bit. So... Am I then going to come into this fight, despite everything, and dismiss Cambosis again? At the end of the day, yes, I'm going to pick Haney. But before we get to that point, Luke, it's like he did it one night, but it was also a perfect storm. Like, that wasn't the best version of Teofimo. He fought a horrible game plan. Like, everything about that was in Cambosis' favor in a lot of ways. Now, as we started off with, they're also kind of in his favor now. He gets to go fight back in Australia for the first time since 2017. He gets to be the conquering hero at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne. They're expecting 50,000 plus for this outdoor venue. So, you know, this is legit a big thing. And you have Haney being young and having to travel. And like you said, his dad running late, the cut man, all that. Maybe that at the end of the day is to me why the betting odds are so much closer than I think they should. And when I have this conversation, I know inevitably it's going to make people go, BC, man, why are you going to keep hating on Cambosis? It's not a hate. It's just style for style, skill for skill. Not only does Devin Haney have way more ways to win this fight, Luke, he's just better in basically every aspect of the game short of straight-on aggression. And, and you know, I'm not trying to pin Cambosis as a rowdy brawler or a reckless. Like, no, he's a skilled fighter. He gets off his combos well. But Devin Haney was, like, phenom from day one. And although he's shown some growing pains along the way, obviously the championship rounds against Jorge Linares when he got hit and ran and held is a big one. He's also shown you in other times, either in wide, boring victories in which he did what he had to do and didn't excite you, or times against Jojo Diaz when he did have to step in and show you what he really has. Dude, Devin Haney at 23 is the real freaking deal. If none of this matters, the travel, the dad situation, the, the stage, the everything like that, and Haney doesn't implode because of his own vulnerabilities that haven't yet fully broken through, I don't think this should be, you know, betting odds as close as it actually is. I respect Cambosis. Man, did he come the hard way. 
You and I, Luke, if we sat down and saw every detail of his journey to get here, we'd be like, damn, you, it reminds you me of us. Like, this is this is how we got here, too. But, dude, Devin Haney is next freaking level. So, Luke, as we looked at this at the betting odds right now, Haney minus 170, your favorite, but Cambosis only a plus 140 underdog. Uh, is it still right to say, like, kind of like Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes, like, you did it on that night, and it was amazing. But, dude, you got to do it again because this kid, if nothing goes wrong here, he might win, you know, nine rounds to three, ten rounds to two here. I mean, Devin Haney is that great, Luke. Are you standing with where I'm standing on that if all things go right here, this isn't going to be a fight? I'm a little bit more hedging than you because there is one thing about this fight that kind of sticks out to me that's like, that Cambosis can really take advantage of. Cambosis is probably going to get hit more for as long as this lasts um, and probably take more damage. But I do also think he's going to be a lot better about it than Haney will. Like Haney, I don't think, has any of the same kind of durability that Cambosis has. Because remember, Lopez dropped Cambosis in that fight late too, if, I, if memory serves, right? And that you thought that might have canceled it out, but then he had surrendered so many rounds and, and Cambosis was so much better that, that that's what the fight ended up being. But the point I wanted to make is this. Haney is not a tremendous knockout puncher. Uh, and I think a guy like Cambosis is going to take more risks. And in taking more risks against a guy who, A, is not a knockout puncher that, that much, and B, again, as I mentioned it, I, I, I'm not saying Haney has a bad chin, BC. I don't think that's right. But I don't think he has a great one. And when you have There's not questions. a great... Huh? Yeah. There's legit questions. I'm gonna. Yes. You're right. There's questions. That's right. So for a guy like Cambosis, who's willing to take risks, who actually is pretty durable, against a guy who is not like you know, terrible chin, but not super durable either, that could change a lot about this fight. That to me is not like the thing I'm going to look at as the defining aspect of this fight. But if the fight is at all close, and that that element reveals itself, well, then all bets are off, BC. And I do think you have to acknowledge that. Yes, if you watch the Jorge Linares fight, in which Haney, you know, kind of dominated for most of it, but then when he got clipped with a hook and had to... Now, look, did, did his ability to endure trouble, was that a, a plus? Yes, he knew how to hold, he knew how to, how to you know, circle away. I think the problem was he stuck to that plan for three, four rounds to close that fight and kind of went, you know, crawled across the finish line. But Luke, he did come back against Jojo Diaz, who you and I know, maybe not fight-changing power with every punch, but Jojo Diaz is a dog. He's a dog who gives super elite fighters very, very hard nights at the office. I saw Haney against a pressure fighter that's not going to be completely dissimilar to what George Cambosis is. I saw Haney dig in, show you the punch resistance, show you the toughness, but most importantly, Luke, and this is how I think... If he's gonna if he's gonna beat Cambosis and if he's gonna do it easily, he's gotta meet that forward pressure with offense, with like meaning, with yeah, I'm willing to 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 to, to sit in the danger seat to show you that my countercraft, my ability to throw combinations in reaction to what you do is gonna be so sublime that it's gonna be worth the risk of standing in there against your power. Because Luke, if that happens, if we see uh, the intent, I love that word lately, intention. If we see offensive intention to do damage from Haney, like I saw in very strong spurts in the Jojo Diaz win, this is where I think inevitably it's going to be a, a fun fight, but it's going to be an eight rounds to four decision win for Haney. I acknowledge the concerns. We've seen them a bit. We've also seen Haney at times be completely boring 
the Gamboa fight where you're just like, dude, I know you can win like this, but we don't want to see this. The fact that he has that as a backup, same thing, Luke, is the reason why I always backed Terrence Crawford against Spence. Yeah, I've been back and forth, but at the end of the day, it's hard to argue off the fact that Terrence Crawford, should he get into trouble at any point, we have history of tape of him being able to box from the outside and do whatever he wants, as boring as it is, and completely control the fight. I also think Haney can do that in this fight if he needs to. Yes, if you get to his chin, it's going to be interesting, but Luke... He needs a fight against a big name in a big moment just like this to really st stamp that Devin Haney's name belongs right next to, if not even above, Ryan Garcia, Teofimo, uh, Gervonta Tank Davis, Shakur Stevenson on the way. This might end up being the, the perfect storm the night that Haney stamps that passport and shows me that. So not only am I predicting he will, that he's going to win here, Luke, no knockout, no nothing like that, but I think we're going to come out of here saying yes, Devin Haney is that dude. I already see Danny as uh, Devin Haney is better than Ryan. You, you put Ryan Garcia way too high. Okay, I, I'm not. Look, high. I'm just saying the category, the category of young fighters. Dude, Ryan Garcia's got legitimate vulnerabilities that are going to leave him face down on the canvas. Not eventually. It's coming, right? But but he's a gunslinger, so he's fun to watch, and he's he's in it against anybody. Haney's different than that. Yes, he can end up taking over this whole division. And maybe even the sport, Luke. I mean, do you really believe in his pedigree? Because I'm talking a strong Devin Haney game right now. Do you believe in that, that he has that pound-for-pound pound king potential? No, I don't. I don't think he has pound-for-pound okay. pound king potential. I do think he is a very sharp and skilled boxer. And to this point, he has shown me overall more sharpness and more skill than cambosis but I, i'm gonna keep going back to this like totally blindsided by what he did against lopez and so for those reasons i think it's very close but i think haney will edge it out um i i do think that but you know we have to think about this too bc what if cambosis beat lopez and then you could say whatever you want lopez was a basket case heading into that fight yeah fine but then, dude, Haney has not been. Like, his dad is going to be there. Like, he asked for this opportunity. He lobbied for it. They knew it was going to be in Australia. He was totally accepting of it. He went and, and did it. And what if Cambosis beats him then, dude? It's not just a matter of, like, how wrong we were about Cambosis for, in those yeah. two cases. But then you have to really be like, dude, those are, like, two spectacular wins. If Cambosis has both Lopez and Haney back-to-back Right. in his title reign. Plus, it would make him undisputed in the weight class. You know, we would have to have a real come-to-Jesus moment between us about how desperately wrong we were about Cambosis and how he is Agreed. the best in class in that weight class. No, thank you. Sorry, Luca. Uh, housekeeping. <laughs> Want to puff pillow. And, you know, what kind of place is this, Luke, right? You know what I'm saying? No, so, so look, you're, uh, you know, you didn't oh, come did with housekeeping come inside? Yeah, I was hoping you were coming with me on that Tommy Boy joke. I see, I, you know, the no sell is is hard. I didn't hear right? it. I didn't hear. I, I couldn't hear that. I couldn't. Oh, hear okay. It. Very Sith like powers coming out of you. Um, so I guess the difference is: Do I believe Devin Haney is going to be a Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford? Yes. Is the reason to doubt that? Yes. And to your point, if there's no excuses and he loses, yeah, that's over. We're just looking at a you know a very talented fighter. Let's see how far he can go. So that's you know even bigger than the title stakes. The is Devin Haney the real deal is a big part of this fight in, in a lot of ways. And you see, again, how close the odds makers realize all of those effects could have. Maybe also their suspect of his chin. This is going to be the right fight to figure that out and find out. Haney is one inch shorter than Cambosis, but has three inches longer of a reach as we check that out there at Marvel Stadium. Um, I'm excited, Luke. Should be should be very telling. And, uh, 
you know, I, I kind of feel like although Cambosis has a rematch clause per that huge contract he got from from top rank, um, I, I feel like Loma versus the winner just makes a ton of sense. I mean, that that'd be a that'd be great. That'd be great, Luke. Love that. Love that idea completely. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for loving that. All right, Luke. Our final uh, topic. Uh, oh wait, do we, we predicted? We you predicted, right? You predicted. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Devin Haney. I think Devin Haney is more skilled, but I don't know, man. I don't really understand Cambosis all that well. I thought I did, and I didn't. So I'm a little bit nervous about that pick, but we'll see. Yes, he's uh, he's of Greek descent, Luke. He calls himself uh, I don't know what he calls himself, Luke. Calls himself Cambosis. All right, here we go. Uh, topic four is we're going to close it out with a little mix of MMA and boxing quick hitters, but this is rapid fire edition, Luke. I'll read to you the potential fight rumored or the latest news. I mean, you kind of tell me if you care and why it matters. Are you ready, Luke? I'm ready. Okay, Please here go. we go. Number one. Luke, you mentioned earlier in the week the uh, issue coming out of Brazil where Paulo Costa was accused of elbowing a COVID tester in a shopping mall while arguing over his test and all of that. Well, his team has released a statement, and the, and the part of it is here, first, tending to sensationalism, there are reckless and inconsistent. The athlete, Boricinha, and his entire team reject any, of the viol- any type of the violence. Boricinha is a high-performing athlete, full-time dedicated to training. He follows the rules and disciplines. According to his philosophy and human conduct, this kind of allegation is completely incompatible with his history and way of life. The accusation and facts narrated do not reflect the reality of what happened, end quote. I do want to, you know, let the jury remind them, Luke, that this guy did blow his UFC title shot because he drank wine in the middle of the night to try to go to sleep. So, like, you know, we are dealing with a wild card here. How do you feel his reaction to a, a an awful headline? Well, I'll say this. Do I know what happened? I have no idea what happened. I've not seen footage. It's he said, she said. Let's be very clear about that. But what is my opinion? I don't believe him and his team at all. <laughs> That's my opinion. My opinion is that I simply don't trust that whatsoever. Now, of course, as I mentioned, you have to see exactly what will happen and what the truth is. He could be telling the truth. I Again, I do not know. But I'm basically as skeptical as one could be without having any accurate information. I'll put it that way. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, I agree with you fully on that. We already knew Brian Ortega, Luke, and Yair Rodriguez are going to be facing off in a sexy as shit featherweight matchup. But the official particulars are the main event of a July 16th UFC on ABC card on Long Island. And Luke, it's going to be one of those rare afternoon start times. I know you're fired up for this, so you don't have to show me the size of your Eresh. Uh, shout out to that. But the undercard they're pairing with it, Luke, Askar Askarov, Alex Perez, Shane Burgos, Charles Air Jordan, mm. Ricky Simone, Jack Shore, Michelle Watterson versus Amanda Lemos, uh, Billy Kubak against Bill Algeo, and Luke, Invicta, Stra- Invicta Strawweight champion Emily Ducati will be taking her uh, UFC debut against Jessica Penne. Your thoughts on the whole package, dude? That's a sick, sick card. Emily Ducati was uh, is now she was used to be in Bellator. Uh, they call her Gordinha, and now she was the Invicta champ. She had that highlight reel KO uh, just uh, not too long ago, and now she's made her way to the UFC. Jessica Penne, who's been, you know, came into the UFC with a ton of hype, and then it's kind of been up and down. Then she had the USADA stuff and all these other injuries and whatnot. So. She's been a little bit all over the place, but is still pretty talented. That's a great fight. But all the ones you mentioned all the way up, 
That card is sensational. I'll also say, I don't know if you're going to get to it, but the UFC London card that they've set out for, what is it, late July or whatever, is, uh, or maybe it's August, I'm not sure what the date is, but whatever it is, it is phenomenal as well. There's a few of these fight night cards that some, people have been complaining about the Apex fight night cards, fair enough, yeah. but it looks like if they're going to go on the road with a fight night card, and of course we also know that they could set it up and then there's injuries and so you get a lesser product. But I'll say this, at least in terms of getting back on the road, the UFC can't phone it in as much, right? Like they actually have to put a card on that's going to attract a crowd that wants to show up. If you're not going to have championship level fights, you got to put on some bangers. Well, those two cards have some fucking bangers on. Yeah, them, the, the sure. banging, the banging will definitely take place, Luke. I guess this changes that most recent narrative of a slow UFC matchmaking season. That's good to see. Uh, quick hitters on this quick hitter, Luke. Do you is Ducati a potential like? Title, future title contender in this always crowded 115 division? I mean, that's saying a lot as being her UFC debut. But, like, if you're a belt holder in Invicta, you are very much worthy of being taken seriously. I think her perform- her uh, excuse me, her improvement since her Bellator days has been very real. And, um, you know, it's, long, it's a long road to the top. But I, I, I am be, I'll be very curious to see how she looks. I'll put it that way. And, Luke, Jessica Penne, the veteran, um, do you think she took – like, who took, the, who took worse damage – in a title, in a one-sided title fight loss, uh, her or Shogun Hua versus John Jones when she fought Yoana that time. Her. That was bad. That was bad. That yeah. was bad. She got elbowed and sliced to pieces. It was bad. I guess you can you throw Rocky Pennington versus Nunes in that combination in that conversation. Luke? That was bad, but like Penny was just like it, it felt like you know you're with that, as that fight went on with with Yoana, you were just kind of like oof. Like, it was kind of hard to watch, whereas Raquel was, I think, it was bad. But part of the controversy, you'll remember, is that she wanted out after the fourth and told her corner as much. But, you know, you go back and you watch it. It wasn't like she was taking, uh, like, the worst beating you've ever seen. Penne's beating wasn't the worst I've ever seen either, but was much more pronounced right up front. It was bad. It, I mean, <laughs> dude, that, that I mean, that's one of the reasons that Joanna had that sort of, like, early legend to her. That's she was right. just like... She came out of nowhere. She was intense, and then she was like destroying. People. I mean, she kicked. She really. She kicked Esparza's ass right before that as well. And also, uh, Luke, but you may not remember Jessica Penny when she was fighting in Invicta. She had a reputation as someone who was a bit of a destroyer. She had vicious ground and pound, and and was known for it. Like you think these women that small can't hurt each other like that? Yeah. Quite obviously they can. So for JJ to do that to her, granted in the stand up, but also against the clinch too, dude, it was that was a that was a real bad fight for her. Uh, Luke, former Penn State wrestling standout Bo Nickel will make his pro MMA debut tonight, by the way. It goes down in Richmond, Virginia on Jorge Masvidal's Icon Fighting Championship uh, banner. He'll be taking on John Noland, who will also be making his pro debut. I know our good buddy uh, uh, Danny caught up with him for MMA Junkie. I was listening to the interview this week. Luke, um, how fired up are you to to sort of the potential? Because Bo Nickel turns pro with a big name. Bo Nickel is easily one of the best NCAA wrestlers ever, right? He's in the conversation of that. I'm not sure where you would put him in the rankings, but if you are, I think he was a four-time finalist, but he's a four-time All-American, three-time national champion, and I watched his senior year campaign. They do, they couldn't do shit to that guy. It was unbelievable. Now, it didn't work out for him at the Olympic level for whatever reason. I, don't, I didn't really follow that part so much, but to get a guy who's got folk style wrestling in this way, because there's a bit of a difference between folk style, which is the American style of wrestling and then the rules they're in. And then the freestyle wrestling, which is the international kind. They're very, very, very similar, but they're slightly different. Um, 
And so for those reasons, uh, you know, Volk actually is a little bit better for MMA because it's a little bit more about turtle positions, wrist rides, that kind of a thing. Uh, mat wrestling, as they call it. And so Bo Nickel is the fucking king at that. To get a guy who's that good at it, who's this much of an athlete, dude, these guys don't come around very often. Now, I don't know how well yeah. he's going to translate to fighting. That part's a little harder to, to say. But you want a blue chip prospect from the most elite and prestigious uh, college program in wrestling. <laughs> this is the poster and boy. He's young, him. right? Like he's he's coming in young and ready. This yes. isn't like yes. you know, no disrespect, but it's not like some of the like a uh, Marco Madsen who's coming in. But you're like, how long is that window going to be there for him at right. 37? You know, right? Um, th this is the reason why, which I think is smart. Att moving, uh, making a, a satellite gym at um, at Penn State University and and uh, State College Pennsylvania, Luke, and like that's. I mean, that's one of the most genius moves I've seen lately. Like, shout out to Dan Lambert for that. Yeah, super smart to go and just recruit those guys to the extent possible. Because not everyone, I mean, look, to make the, 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 the world team or the national team, it's very, very difficult to do. So like, you're going to get a lot of guys who are national champions, All-Americans, who just have no spot on a roster at the Olympics. Dude, give those guys a fucking contract immediately. Yeah. Let's get them into fighting. You got, I mean, it's it's why you hung out at shopping malls in, in your late teens, Luke. You got to go out and recruit. You know what I mean? They're not going to come to you, okay? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You're, you're uh, a worthless piece of trash. I want you to know. Uh, Luke, uh, Alistair Overeem has uh, reinstated the idea that he's not retired, Luke, and that he's still looking for a retirement bout against Fedor Emelianenko. And Luke, that could be a double retirement bout, potentially. Would you have interest in some spectacle like that? Well, isn't Overeem fighting Batter Hari coming up? Yes, he did sign up for the Trilogy in Glory Kickboxing. He also has a pro wrestling debut coming up against the artist formerly known as Braun Strowman in England that got canceled and postponed, and people think they're not going to do it anyway. But uh, do you care about the idea of old-ass Overeem against Fedor? That, that's, dude, I mean, it, that's a... That's some gas station bullshit, but wrap it up in a nice packaging, Luke. I can yeah, get I guess in. because he beat Tim Johnson that I would reconsider it. I mean, if you'd asked me about a year or so ago, like when Ryan Bader was dusting him off, I probably or however long ago that was, I probably would have said no. But, you know, the Tim Johnson one was pretty redemptive. It is his retirement fight. Overeem's long in the tooth as well. That This was the fight that we were supposed to get at the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix, and they put yes. him in separate boxes, and then, you know... Big, Bigfoot Silva said, oh, Fedor, I'm going to ruin all your plans. I was there that night. Strike Force put me in the worst seat possible. Shouts to Strike Force for doing that. But um, as I, I, I hope that was Danny Brenner that got you back then. I hope, you know. I think it was Danny Brenner. Now, he hooked me up after that, but that was, that was a real low point in my career, I got to say. Anyway, uh, the point being is now there might be a little bit more sense to it, but e either do it now or just forget about it completely is what I would say. Yeah, right? indeed. Uh, Luke, your uh, uh, local boy made good, Ryan Hall of Greater uh, DC MMA Virginia, has uh, revealed a complete ACL tear. He doesn't expect to be back until 2023. Luke, given that he has so few fights in recent years for various reasons, I hate to see this. Yeah, and also he's not like the youngest athlete. I still think he's like 34, maybe 35. No, dude, he's old. He's older than that. He's old as old, Luke. He's old. How old is he's Ryan Hall? I think he's so like 38 off the top of my dome, Luke. Ryan Hall. Uh, I don't know if that's correct. Ryan Hall is... Oh, you're right. Jesus, he's 37. I'm totally wrong. God damn. Um, Look, you tend to be wrong on ages, but you tend to be five years too soon. So keep that in mind. Maybe like adjust for inflation as we move on with this. I show. said 34. That wasn't that far off. But you're right. He's on the other side of 35. And uh, he just turned 37 in February. But to your point, right? He'll be 38 probably by the time he comes back. That's a tough place to be at 145 pounds. For anybody, I do think he's got a lot of the same skills 
to still be a viable talent. But yeah, man, it's going to be an uphill climb for sure. Uh, Luke, according to multiple sources, uh, the artist formerly known as Adrian Broner is going to be back in the ring for the first time in, in nearly a year and a half. July 23rd, Chicago. It's believed to be a PBC on Fox card. And the opponent, Omar Figueroa, Luke, the brother of Brandon, who... Um, I thought he was retired. He kind of was. And, you know, it's kind of the perfect fight, to be fair, Luke. It's kind of the... Like, they're both huge question marks around both. But yet both are action, fun fighters who have had, you know, up and down elite careers. Um yeah, I guess this is this is a sloppy Super Bowl. I'm all in, Luke. I'm all in on this. I mean, it's I mean, style it's better wise, than it's Broner asking for money on Cash App on Instagram. I'll, exactly, know. and like like Figueroa when he stepped up at welterweight the last couple of years, like he got he got handled. You know, I mean, like Ugas gave it to him because um, he's really a lightweight who grew out of his body too quickly. And I, you know, I don't know if I don't know if he's always been as disciplined as he should be, but you know, when he bites down, he makes nothing but. Figueroa family fun fights on the inside and dude Broner's the 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 times we have seen him step up a bit in class you know Jesse Vargas like he fights in wars nowadays Luke so yes I mean people forget he was a four-way wasn't he a four division champion at one I mean that's that's the the that's the the number one like when you look at you know the proliferation of titles we have too many world titles in boxing I point to that right away because like no disrespect to Broner like you know for a time especially at lightweight he was very elite and very good but he never, uh, short of, I mean, he beat Paul and Malinaji by split decision, but outside of that, he never, like, beat a champion. It was always, like, a vacant title fight. It was always, you know what I'm saying? So, like, Yeah, I was there for his fight with Theophane in D.C., and the crowd didn't care for that one either, let me tell you. Dude, that's the one where afterwards he called out Floyd, right? Remember Floyd yes. was in the ring? He's yes. like, he got to, to see to, me. To what can only be described as the loudest booze I've ever heard. <laughs> If Floyd was just like laughing and clapping, like didn't know what to say, dude. I, I would. By the way, I always had wanted that fight. I always felt that Floyd, like, remember when Floyd was like fighting Berto, like that time, you know, forty nine, no, like at the end, yeah. just fight Broner. It would have been a fun build, right? Bro, I remember walking out of the. It was because it was at the DC Armory, and I didn't, I didn't want to try and catch a cab there, so I was walking up East Capitol Street, actually where I used to live as a kid, and I remember there was like this group of guys behind me. And it was a 10 minutes of man, fuck Broner, man. I ain't never giving Broner any of my money again. <laughs> fuck Broner. I mean, dude, it's like he's had enough issues, you know, mental health, all that stuff outside of the ring and, and arrests. And I mean, there's been a lot of bad A.B. moments, Luke. So in some ways, you're like, man, what do I don't think sending him back to the ring is the best thing. But he might be one of those guys that send him back to the ring and getting him on a you know serious routine and discipline. Maybe it would be the best thing to, to get his life back in order. I would like to see him. Don't get me wrong. I would like to see his life on track, but I'm a little bit skeptical of like his boxing future. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. Speaking of boxing, Luke, uh, Dan Rayfield reporting that Triller has yet to pay uh, Sergey Kovalev and both Pulev brothers for that May 14th boxing card, owing P- uh, Kovalev uh, $500,000. This is uh, this is a trend here, Luke, right? Well, I got to tell you, you know, people, I, I always love this, all the new MMA fans, like when you call, like if you've been around combat sports for a while, you just know sleaze when you see it. Um, and here was a case where it was just quite obvious. Like these people did not have a, any fucking clue what they were doing. That you know, the margins on making money on shows is very thin for most promoters. You have to be very, very careful about your costs. You obviously have to put on a show that people care about. But you, you, there's, a, there's a there's an art to managing all of it. Perhaps a science as well. And they were just you know lavishly spending money on Metallica and Justin Bieber and the Black Crows. 
And everyone's like, oh, this is entertaining. This is a new way to think about fights. I'm like, no, this is an old way to go to bankruptcy. Well, sure enough, here we are a little bit down the road. There, the, 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 the grand lights that you once saw are nowhere to be found. And moreover, all of these people who were just, you know, hemorrhaging money before, now there might be some issues that they don't have it at all. And by the way, this is not just bad because they stiff the fighters. This might put them out of the fight game altogether because if you don't pay them, dude, you can't go back to California. California will take your motherfucking promoter's license. So will just about any state in the union at that point. So there's a real question about whether Triller, as a fight entity anyway, is going to survive at all through this. Well, imagine if you're a fighter who, you know, went out there and, and you know, gave it all. And you don't get paid, but you're like, well, good thing Crime Faces got his check. And Pete Davidson and uh, Beaver was there. What is this? <laughs> yeah. Ray Flores, shout out. Shout out to Ray Flores. But, you know, yeah, glad he got paid. Uh, hopefully they all did get paid, Luke. Uh, Luke, Mike Coppinger of ESPN reporting, Teofimo Lopez Jr. has a comeback date and opponent. It will be his debut at 140, and it will be August 13th, somewhere in South Florida, against Pedro Campa, who has a 33-1-1 record but hasn't beaten a name that you would even know at this point. Is this a good enough comeback, given the circumstances, for you to have interest, Luke? I will say this. I actually do have interest in it because the Lopez from the Lomachenko fight to the Lopez from the Cambosis fight, and again, the Cambosis fans are going to kill us for saying this, just wasn't the same guy. That doesn't mean that the other guy wouldn't have. Cambosis uh, couldn't beat either version, but it just that was not the version that he got on that night. And uh, I think he needs a tune-up fight, especially at a new weight class. Yeah, I'm happy to see him fight someone that is not, you know, some kind of hammer right away. So I'll give him the mulligan on this one. But then after that, I want to see what he can really do. Lopez claimed on Twitter after that he tried to specifically get Jose Ramirez or undisputed champion Josh Taylor, but that none of them wanted to fight him. Jack Catterall then jumped in and said, why don't you just fight me? They went back and forth, and ultimately uh, Teofimo said he would fight him. So... Uh, if it leads to a Jack Catterall fight next, Luke, who, who who just went out, and we I thought he beat Josh Taylor. You he know what I mean? Be, I'm so, sorry. I don't care what those judges said. He did beat Josh Taylor. So that, you know, if that's the direction they're going, I guess he, would, he deserves a slow build because he's got to get things right in his personal life, all that. I mean, he's making – I mean, Luke, he's still claiming publicly that he only lost to Cambosis because the zone had a plan on screwing him. Like, it's just – it's it's remarkable, Luke. It really is. All right. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, there's a little bit of like, dude, where is Lopez now mentally, right? Because, okay, you're not fighting a super. Yeah, I need I need to see where he's at. I need to see where he's at. Right. Not, he, I, I don't he, mind well, that he's taking an easy, easier fight. He reportedly went through a divorce right before his uh, the birth of his first child. So there's been a lot of. Uh, a lot. There's been a lot going on, no doubt about it. Luke Coppinger also reporting that Danny Garcia will finally make that much-talked-about junior middleweight debut. The, the target rumor here is July 30th in New York. Not sure what network, but Jose Benavidez Jr. would be the opponent at 154. Do you care, Luke? Some. A little. Yeah, I would like a different opponent. Like, Jose Benavidez, you know, who once fought Terrence Crawford for the welterweight title, like... He's a, you know, he was a good fighter, but dude, he took a lot of time off and I thought he got a gift victory in his comeback at middleweight. He didn't look that great. Like, I don't know. I guess, you know, if this is a, if this is just a test of the waters for Danny Garcia, I get it, Luke, but uh, we got to see a match, match bigger. Uh, also, Luke, to, uh, Bob Arum was talking to Fight News, asked about Tyson Fury's retirement. Here was his quote. Tyson Fury is retired and he will be retired until we come to him with the next big event and then he will unretire. 
end quote. Does that sum it up to you? Yeah, more or less. Hey, we're going to get to any of these one results. 158 was today. I don't have shit right here on rapid fire edition of quick hitters involving one. I'm Shocker sorry, that but... you have many boxing questions, but no MMA questions ready. Very, very good of you. Uh, well, we started the segment with about eight straight MMA headlines, but that's okay, Luke. Uh, let's close with this. Uh, you know I like bullshit uh, uh, dust-ups in the uh, in the trash talk world in both sports. And boxing, are you up on this Eddie Hearn versus Leonard Ellerby rivalry, which has been going on for a while, but has really taken center stage over Gervonta Davis? So, Luke, Eddie Hearn was on the boxing voice, and he says that Mayweather Promotions has sent him legal letter to stop talking publicly about wanting to sign Gervonta Davis because, quote, Davis is still under contract with Mayweather Promotions. Then, LRB was on the Brian Custer Last Stand podcast that Showtime and Malka put out, and he was asked about the, the Eddie Hearn trash talk, and here's his uh, very strong words. It's a clown, and everyone knows that. That's why you just laugh, and I'm not going to go back and forth with him because he know what time of day it is. It, when did the beef start? Do you recall what, when did, what was the? He know what it is. Oh. He, he and it's something very personal. And and I I I gave him a phone call. Mm. I gave him a phone call a while ago. He know what time of day it is. And it's just that, again, he he he, again. I don't want to go back and I mean back into all of that because again, I just try to, I try to be as professional as I possibly can. But that's the one guy that I can honestly say that if I had the opportunity, I stump him out. Mm. Wow. Uh, Luke, that's uh, them are fighting words. No, no. You don't care. You don't care up to this point. All right. Well, we uh, asked. No, no, no. Here, here, here's what I here's what I would say. No, no. Here's here, listen, listen. Here's what I would say as I hear myself in my ear. Uh, listen, LRB's a DC guy. LRB's been nothing but nice to us. I like Leonard LRB, but like when two old middle aged dudes talk about <laughs> fighting each other, it's please stop. I mean, no. Just uh, well, because Eddie Hearn has been going public about, you know, uh, about the whole Gervonta situation. He's been saying. Lou DiBella also was coming hard on the pain against Eddie Hearn this week uh, for comments he made about Devin Haney. So there's a lot of this going on. But, Luke, they caught up with Eddie Hearn. He talked to uh, Into Boxing is the show he talked to. Here's his response back to Leonard Ellerby. I've always said, like, I don't have a problem with Leonard. I, I want to, you know, I think we should, should look to cheer him up a little bit, you know, and Maybe even sing him a song. I don't know, you know. What song? I don't know, something like... In our sunshine when tanks gone Feel the pain when he goes away In our sunshine when tanks gone Oh, Leonard Ellerby Why are you so obsessed with me? Something like... <laughs> Look, come on, come on! You gotta. This is this is good bullshit, right? It's fun. Bro, we are in a clown industry. I like Eddie too. I think he's actually a pretty good promoter. Uh, but fucking a, what are we doing with our lives, dude? Bob Arum was even taking shots at Eddie lately. Eddie's in the uh, people. People be hating for Let sure. Me ask you, uh, are they taking shots at him because it's fair to take shots of him, or how much of this is like? How much of it is just like? Not that other promoters aren't doing good things, but like just petty jealousy in the industry. Like what, what, is, what is the all, real it's, source it's, of it? It's got to be all of the above. But I think, you know, 
Eddie just doesn't care. Like, he just doesn't give a fuck what other people think. You know what I mean? He's six foot seven, good looking, full money in success, Luke. So it's the fact that at every turn, he's like so quick to either joke or, you know, speak out and or, or say the things. Like, he is crossing lines. He just doesn't care. And, um, but the comeback from a lot of these guys is it fueled sometimes by jealousy, other things, probably to some degree. But, I mean, you know, but Eddie just, he seems to attract it, Luke. I think he likes the, Attention knowing it's good for business. Because it is. We just played it on the show. I mean, it is at the end of the day, Luke. I mean, what's what's better? Eddie Hearn singing or Bob Arum just old manning? Shut yeah. the fuck up, you little... <laughs> I, mean, I mean, look, I'm going to be really fair here. Part of being a, a, a successful boxing fan, and when I say successful, I mean, it's so easy to quit being a boxing fan, right? Because it's frustrating. It's expensive. It's a lot of things. But to be a successful one, you have to, unfortunately dial into and love both the business side of the game and all the you know corruption around it and all that and the navigation through that and the ridiculousness of it all like every boxing interview is a shit show luke like there's so much shit show content that you have to love that wild card bullshit to be a boxing fan if you are you're a full-on degenerate like myself luke but that's the difference between people who are boxing fans and people think that maybe i should try to be if you watch those videos and you and you caught some movement, welcome to the team, you know? All right, fair enough. Okay, thank you very much. Luke, not everything I say each week is correct or well-received, and that's why we have a segment every Friday through an email address called morningcombat at gmail.com. If you thought you heard something incorrect, wrong, well, you better bring a receipt. But we're willing to straddle that fence and find out we were dead wrong. Mm-hmm. All right, Luke. Um, this one's coming in from um, a few guys. Uh, episode 303, Brian stated that Christina Ricci was in American Beauty. You're wrong, dog. That was Thora Birch and uh, Mina Suvari that were Mina the chicks Suvari. in that one. Suvari. She was like a 90s it girl, right? Yeah, she well, she was definitely, but I definitely confused Thora Birch and, and uh, Christina Ricci. So I'll take that out. You're right. I can't believe I did that, Luke. I'm the '90s guy. I did it. Um, he says uh, I'm surprised Luke would forget these details, as I figured he'd have a strong remembrance for Chris Cooper as the former Marine to Wes Bentley's character. Does that mean anything to you, Luke? Uh, no. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. I'm not sure. I don't understand. All right. Uh, P.S. I would not have been sad if they had thrown Ricci in there, too. Everyone wants to be with Wednesday Adams. Crazy Ugh. can be fun, too, he says. Yeah, yeah. Most most men at this point in your life have figured that equation out to be true, Luke. Crazy yeah. can be fun. You know, is it fun long term? That's on, that's on you, Luke. Right. That's how much F you fun, can. Fun and for a little while. That's about yeah. it. My lighting rig is dying, but luckily the show is dying, too. So we're, we'll just keep it going. Uh, Luke, this one's from a few other men as well. Um, from Mark. Dear voices in my head that feed my shameful addiction to MMA. At 119 of Friday's episode 303, when talking about the UFC schedule bout between Ponzinibbio and Michelle Padeda, Brian states, we're, all, we're going all Brazil all the time here, end quote. While we expect, if not demand, a certain level of cross-cultural approximation from Brian, who plays the simpleton underdog we feel compelled to excuse and secretly root for, we demand better from you, Luke Thomas. With your sound politics, functioning intellect, real bookshelves, and Colombian connections, Santiago Ponzinibbio actually hails from Argentina and is of Italian heritage. 
showing you there is still hope in old age. This is Mark, a banker in gray suit by day. Did we not say he was Argentinian? What did we say? I said it's an all-Brazilian affair. So Ponzinibbio oh, fights out of Brazil, you. Yeah, but yeah, he's yeah, from yeah. No, Argentina. He's, so dude, I I'll interviewed take... him. He's from a place called La Plata, which actually I think it means the money uh, in 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 Argentina. And dude, they yeah. gave him the key to the fucking city in that place. I actually interviewed him about it when like the whoever the mayor was of the, at the time, they gave him the whole thing, and he did the interview in English. Yeah, yeah, no, like I I didn't hear you in that case, so I apologize. But well, here's the thing though. Ponzinibbio speaks Portuguese and has trained extensively in Brazil. So there's, I mean, it's not, he's not Brazilian, obviously, but there's a little bit of that dynamic going on. Are you back yet? Right. Fuckface McGee? I'm back. Can you, can you guys put it on me? Yeah. Oh, we work? can put it on you. <laughs> Baby girl, put it on me. Yeah. Right, Luke? Wow. That was, it felt good coming out. Uh, so, uh, Luke, the guy would go on to say, you can also call me Le French Donk from London at night. If you come near my house, I'll cook for you. Wish me a happy 51st birthday. It's Thursday, May 26th. I'm out. Shout out to Mark there. That got a little weird at the end, but shout out to Mark just the same. Yeah. All right. Uh, the, uh, this man is called The Deuce, and he says on episode 303 at 43 minutes, BC says that ESPN is the exclusive provider for UFC in North America. This is dead wrong. In Canada, it is TSN, and I am unsure of who it is for Mexico. Luke, I'll take that L. I'll take it. All right? Okay. Okay, thank you. Uh, also, this is uh, Telvin Kipapa. You know this guy from Hawaii, right, Luke? Yes. He says, BC's favorite viewer checking in from Hawaii. On episode 304, uh, 142 into the video, you guys said the song sung by the Fugees, I mentioned this is my L, was called Strumming My Pain, but it's actually called Killing Me Softly with his song. Yeah, I wasn't trying to say that that was the name of it. I was trying to, while coming it's, up with the name. It's a Roberta Flack cover anyway. Absolutely. And yes, that is the song of my senior year of high school. There's no question about it. No question about it. Um, yeah, anyway, they were, still, they were big. They were big. Dude, the Fuji, the Fugees were huge. Huge. Were huge. Dude, Lauren Hill was huge. That first album, Luke. I mean, the it's like the education of Lauren Hill is like one of the biggest it's a class. albums I mean, it's, of my youth. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's art. It's, it's, it's definitely art. There's no question about it. All right. Uh, anyway, we still love you, BC. Keep up the jokes about War Machine. And Luke, keep shitting on people that, get, that have barefoot in an airplane. Been a fan since episode one. Aloha. Hey, Telvin Kipapa is always there for us, Luke, from Hawaii. Maybe he should be there for Governor Penn and, you know, show up at the lava shack and diffuse the anger a bit. You know what I'm saying? Protect the legends, all right? I know. It's like I saw – who did I see? It was uh, – I forget who it was like. That. Yeah, yeah, he'd be – he's a history buff. I'm like, he's categorically unfit for office. But okay. Thank you. Thank way. you very much. All right. This one is from uh, Richard and Sahi. On Monday's show, Luke said that Baron Trump went to Sidwell Friends for high school. The Trumps actually broke the trend and sent their kids or their spawn to St. Andrews. So take Ooh, that out, Luke. I did not know that. Okay, went to St. Andrews instead. All right. Still, All right. most of the elites send their shithead kids to Sidwell Friends. I actually was that when I took my kid to the zoo... Sidwell Friends had a uh, field trip, and they all had their Sidwell Friends shirts on, and I was like, fuck y'all little kids. <laughs> fuck y'all Chelsea Clinton kids, yeah. Uh, Luke, this is from Michael. Hello, internally rotting middle-aged man. Uh, BC, <laughs> on Wednesday, May 25th, you said that Valentina has been fighting three or four times a year. This is 100% dead wrong. Valentina has never fought more than twice in a calendar year since joining the UFC. Given the fact that she has yet to fight almost halfway through 2022, it seems extremely unlikely that she'll fight twice more this year after Santos. Um, 
Valentina only fought three times a year once, and that was back in 2005. Wow, Luca. Okay. All you had to said was, was I was wrong. I'm sorry. Wow, yeah. That's wow. fine. This is quite the dunk on BC Fest. Jesus yeah. Christ. Normally, they just crack jokes. This time, this guy's surgically just dismantling me. Uh, Luke, those are the dead wrong. Send yours in, and we'll debate whether you're worthy. But, Luke, we didn't do it on Wednesday. The same email address, morningcombat at gmail.com, gets you uh, a chance to show off your art, and it's called Fan Submission. Fan subs. We have male viewers. <laughs> there it is. There it is. There it is. All right. This one's from Eddie. What better to squeeze in between feeling, feedings, naps, and shitty diapers than some room service diaries? Any advice for a first time dad? Adding another addition to oh. my donk force. And May 14th at 11, 11 p.m., we welcome Elliot Lee Chan, a new viewer to the greatest podcast show of all sports. The doctor who delivered Elliot mentioned she's delivered of uh, hundreds of babies to sports games or shows like Maury Povich, but never to some cage fighting. Wow. Um, guess there's a first for everything. My mother-in-law thought it was a great opportunity to seize the moment of my every Saturday night routine, never missing a fight card. Love all the great content you guys throw at us each week. And BC, if you finally want to stop being a bitch with those Delta 8 gummies and want to try some stuff men with hair on their chest take, you can find me where the most controversial boxing heavyweight championship fight took place. Ali's infamous phantom punch he landed on Sonny Liston. It's Eddie, Luke. So where is he from? Uh, uh, Maine? Wasn't that fight in Maine, uh, Luke? Very, Ali Liston, very, too, yeah, was in Maine. Yeah, very cute kid. And they got the gloves on because they scratch themselves when they're this young. You know, want them to Lewiston, do that. Lewiston, Maine. Yes. yes. The baby actually has arguably more hair than I will in five years. So that's amazing. Uh, and Luke, do you agree with this parenting, though? To start, little Elliot, who's who's the goods. I love this kid. He's one of us, Luke. He's in our family. But should you start him so early on RSD and, and MK and all day and nearly every day, you know? Yeah, probably not advisable, but... I'm not going to say no. All right. Hey, Bruce is here. He says, hey, Luke in BC, I was across the pond in London for work, and it was great timing to catch Cage Warriors 137. I repped MK abroad and even got to meet the great Mark Goddard. The irony of it was I had to go overseas to see my first regional level show. Love what you guys do and all the content. Keep it up. MK all day. It's Bruce. Luke, shout out to this American male, right? That's amazing. Uh, that's an old school shirt too. I don't know if we even still sell those, but shouts to this gentleman. And Cage Warriors is an, is regional, but it's also like regional international level. Yeah, it's not like it's not like oh, you're the best guy in Falmouth, Virginia. It's you know, hey, you might be the best guy on the European continent. So, um, but yes, to the point. Pretty amazing. This guy got to do that. Yeah, it's great. Good for him. Like you're you're unlikely to have like a like fan man drop in or like the the ring to break on you or like you know. Undertaker come through the canvas, but it's still it's still the minor leagues, but it's it's the elite minor leagues. It's the elite minor leagues. That's right. All right. Hey, Russell stops by. He says it was so awesome to take the Cobb County Star Maps tour. We saw some cool places. The first pick. This is where a young Luke Thomas got his early education at Old Marietta High School, which has right. now been downgraded to a middle school these days. But I'm sure it's fine, he says. Luke, your thoughts on this? That is that is my old high school, right? Fucking there. Um, I didn't enter through this particular part or exit through this particular part. We was, there's a parking lot to the right. If you're facing it, there's a parking lot to the right, and then there's a separate room you can come in. That's where I went. But uh, 
Yeah, this is bus the. I went to two different high schools. This is the second of them, and the, well, the, the Luke, new one they built after I graduated. I've never, I don't think I've ever even seen it. But Luke Thomas, this is your life because this gentleman continued the tour of your life. Pick number two. Y'all had some good football teams at Marietta, but we Etowa up in here. What the hell is he talking about, Luke? We what? Etowa, E T O W A H. Is that some rival oh, Etowah. school? Etowah, Etowah County, Etowah, Etowah County. Yeah. yeah, just a bunch yeah. of country bumpkins. Uh, pick number three our next stop was the place where some of the nicest people on earth work and where luke got fired from my bride, my bride and i i call her my broad wow my bride and i went tip to tip i got you brian because no one in the place knew what the hell i was talking about luke let's let's luke is that the dude is this the couple that got married with elvis with the mk gear i think this is them oh that might be yeah, that might I be. I love this couple. Yeah, Russell. That's that's our guy, Russell, right there. Shout out to Russell. Wow. Okay, but I the the Chick Fil A I got fired from was the Chick Fil A in Kennesaw, Georgia, which is a little bit north of where the high school is. So I don't know if they're that one. Okay. All right, uh, Luke. Their next stop was uh, they traveled across the shopping center parking lot to where many of us are waiting for Qzar to come back. I hear New York City does have a location, though. Luke, does this mean anything to you? I don't know what this place is. That I don't I don't know what that is. Kuro what I can't even read that. Can you guys blow that shit up? No? Kuroshio? Dude, I'm sure Kuroshio? it sucks balls, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it does. All right. Uh that's it. That's the end of part one he of didn't, our tour. Oh, this this motherfucker Oh, he went to side oh sidelines, sports and girls been around for a long time. Does he not have any pictures of him with the big chicken? That's that's the fucking landmark. I do it. I don't know. I don't know what you're about there, but he did seem to try to dig up anything he could on you, Luke. He says Dude, uh, you can you can see like why when I graduated, I was like, yeah, I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> Luke Ru Russell closes with a message. That's the end of part one of the tour. Love you, Luke, but laugh more, dude. Wow, I laugh. I laugh plenty of times. Dude, also, I'm just sad all the time. So what do you want me to do? It's not that easy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kevin L. has a quick meme for us, Luke. Let's see if he takes an L for this. Blow it up, please. I can't read. Sponsors, please read this verbatim. BC. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Ray dude, Charles? Yeah, yeah, that's dude, about right. These fucking instructions, they're like in all caps, fucking bolded with separate colors. Read verbatim. BC's like time to improvise. I, I do I do land the plane every time though Luke you can call me Sully Sullinger I mean I get I get the the, the high notes right but uh, I'm trying to entertain the people Luke's just like the government made me do this I will perform my duties to the people please see rules on next page like I mean come on you know what I mean Luke all right uh, Luke this is from Mark he says a quick fan sub to thank Luke for unknowingly answering the question he would so condescendingly pose to BC at the 154 mark of episode 303. What does this say, Luke? Luke, smug as hell and super proud of himself. BC, how would you define lugubrious? <laughs> also, Luke, just eating the microphone like a fucking turd. Look at him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's Mark from Squamish, British Columbia, Canada. Shout out to, to BC from BC, yeah. You know, yeah, Shaq Majori lives in BC, Luke. Okay. Yeah. They, by the way, they're uh, legalizing most drugs there. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, they, yeah, they're a very progressive area, Luke. They're like they're like Europe, you know. Um, we also have Danger Mouse. He's a legend around these parts. Oh, uh, I'm back again. Here, I'm sure. And we have something up. to discuss. I can't Last read week, it. Can you read it? 
Let me read his message, hold on. Last week I gave you the perfect opportunity to have some fun at Luke's expense with the reservist meme, and instead you turned on me and demanded to know if I valued my freedom. Well, I certainly do, BC, and I thank the armed forces of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth for them. You know, the army that has actually won a war since 1945, unlike some I could mention. Look, is he, what the, look, is he stepping out of bounds here with this commentary? Uh, fun timing by you two because it's coming up on the 40th anniversary of Britain winning that war. And of course it is our beloved Queen's Platinum anniversary this week, 70 years as a queen. So I hope you will join me in congratulating her. Anyway, it's very noticeable that Luke is starting to get into shape. And I think I've figured out how. I can't I read this. It's still blurry on my screen. Can you read it? Um, Corey, can you come on the microphone and read this? Oh, they typed it for us. It says, wow, how did you get that? And then Luke says, every time I diss Brian Campbell, I do one push-up. And then the, then the lady Christ. says, wow, how did you get that? And Luke says, every time I adjust my eyeglasses, I do one push-up. I mean, look, that could be the secret to your, uh, yeah, there you go. There you yeah, go. that might be it. That might be it. Well, well done, Danger Mouse. Luke, we did, we did, uh, we did come at him last week, so... He had to stand like up it. for his... But what he doesn't understand, Luke, is when our countries do go to war, dude, we kick the shit out of them. Twice. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, all right. All right. Uh, also, David A. is here. Luke, is this the same David A. with the, the teacher? with the? Yeah, there you go. Um, okay, guys, my last submissions have failed to make the grade. I think Mikey canceled me. No, no, David A. <laughs> Sir, uh, Professor, you canceled yourself there, Cosby. But he says, um, so I guess my best chance of getting back on the show is my speciality in HR disaster. One of my classes prepares the exam to get into France's top military academy, St. Cyr. Can't wait to hear Brian pronounce that. I invited them for an end of the year booze fest at my place the other day. And I thought I'd ask a few questions about you guys to them. Unfortunately, they'd already had a few drinks, so I'm not sure you'll understand a word. But that's the kind of risk you take when you film the greatest art since documentary part three. Yes, it's David Appleton, the French alpha. Let's go to this videotape here, Luke. You guys, who is the American alpha? You guys. Who is America's finest ex-marine? There is no such as an ex-marine, sir! Sir! <laughs> Who is America's finest former marine? Luke Thomas, sir! Luke Thomas, really? Okay, you guys, what do you call your hat? A hat or a cover? We call it a canoe, sir! Cover of a toilet, sir! Color covers of a toilet, sir. Okay, you guys, what will Luke and Brian's legacy be to society? Hey, sir, uh, boxing interviews and extra credit, sir. Incredible. Guys, all of you, where can you get hours of advertising for dick pills, shitty green drinks, and predatory loans? And I mean, I mean, Luke. There is there is no question that David Appleton <laughs> deserves to be behind bars. Will end up behind bars, and I don't know what he did to those young men to to make this happen. But damn, is that guy brilliant, Luke? 
I mean, uh, that is Godzilla's back. I mean, Luke, that guy is. I mean, wow, wow. You that know was I mean? that's maybe the funniest fan sub I think I've ever seen. That it, genuinely that's... made me tear up laughing. That was really, really good. Uh, top that, folks. Top that, okay? And if you want to try Morning Combat at gmail.com, I know we've already received a, a ton for next week, so uh, uh, thank you to you guys for keeping us fresh in that regard and keeping us in line with the uh, with the dead wrong just the same. Uh, Luke, anything you want to plug? Anyone you want to plug before we get out of here? Um, I'll just say, um, yeah, can't wait to see Top Gun. Um I don't know what kind of coverage we're going to have over the weekend. We might have something. I kind of have to figure that out. But uh, Monday, we are going to be in studio. We're going to oh, be in studio. Oh, hell yeah. We're going to be doing some good stuff that you're going to like a lot. Uh, we got a few franchises. We're, we got we to gotta, we gotta give to each of our franchises here. No doubt about that. Catch me Saturday night, Showtime Championship Boxing. Uh, yes. It's a it's a doubleheader of live boxing. There's also the re the replay of the Javante Tank Davis Roly Romero pay per view that starts 9 p.m. Eastern, and of course Stephen Fulton, Danny Roman in that main event. I'll be backstage interviews in the ring. Check out your boy BC. If you don't have Showtime, now would be that perfect time. Showtime.com. Get your 30 days for free. Tell them BC sent you. Uh, yeah, there you go. Pound the sand at the end. Uh, morningcombat.store is the way you can walk around your French school showing the love for this brand. Damn, David A. I mean, really, you absolute predator. I mean, what a genius, Luke, right? I mean, they make documentaries. They make documentaries about guys this equally talented and and distasteful. You know what I mean? Where's Kamal Bell when we need him? Um, Yeah, that's about it. That's all I got. So for uh, Gaff Pierre, Mikey Morms, who was away this uh, uh, Corey's back, Luke. Manich is back from the, uh, the, uh, the other continent. Um, this is a Showtime Malka CBS production, and it's the best damn combat sports show. Period. Uh, tip your bartenders. Like, subscribe, spread the word. Spread it as aggressively as you used to spread STDs in your freshman dorm hall. You know what I'm talking about, you absolute dirt hole. Can we go, Luke, please? They, I have to piss. That, that probably hit a lot of our audience, and you know, just like per, you know, right on, right in the bullseye there. Yeah. BC, yeah. seriously, I got to piss. Can we, can we call it a day? Okay. Yeah. Okay. The show's over, guys. Uh, we're out. I don't, you know, I'm, that's yeah.